Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Tracks Edition. It's big number sixty. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. That's a guards number. That's a that's one of the biggins. I mean, it's a it's a nice round number. It's a good number. Yeah. Sixty is the number of times the Earth goes around the sun in a week. Don't know if you knew that. What? <laughs> Did you say? Don't test me on this. I know about I know about You're planets. To break and my brain. I know I know about planets and moons, rogue planets even sometimes. I know all about it. I got this. Sixty times. Uh, it's sort of the main theme of the week is rogue planets slash asteroids uh, again. Misbe- misbehaving moons. I thought that was the the fucking theme of the week when we did the episode rogue planet. What's going on? Uh, well, by rogue in this case, I guess I don't mean full planets, but this shit is all full of asteroids and comets and shit. Oh, like um, like swords in in the sky or in space. Yeah, sword in the sky, or like an asteroidal moon that's in a deteriorating orbit, mm. or um, maybe asteroids are being used as a weapon by a sinister force. Oh, you know what I'm saying? There's like a there's trouble in space. Space ain't normal this week. All right. Well, I guess we should get into it because we got over 200 minutes of content ahead. Yeah, here's the way we do this. Every week, we hit all five of the first five. We didn't know there were going to be... I mean, seven is going to be real soon, right? Oh, There's going to be seven of these damn shows. We pit all five of the first five series against each other head-to-head just based on airing order. <laughs> It's the stupidest project. This is this the week, worst description you've ever given. This week we're comparing the 60th episodes, but I hear what you're asking. Ah. How do we choose the order? Because if we just do it the same yeah, every yeah, week, yeah, 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 we're yeah. not going to have any energy when we get to number five, and it's going to place a real unfair burden on Poor Enterprise, a show which already had issues. By the way, five, the number of times the sun goes around the moon in a month. Uh, I believe that is correct. Um, so here's what we do. Here's what we settled on. Whichever episode placed worst last week, we put it right up at the front to like d- devote more time to it. <laughs> Just make sure it gets a fair shake. And then the fourth place from last week and so on and so on. Uh, unfortunately, last week, the, the big loser was Voyager. Oh, what a surprise. So we're going to watch a, vo- we're going to discuss the Voyager episode that we watched first. This week, that Voyager episode is Rise. That's why you love it.
Now once I was downhearted. Right? Uh, with disappointment, your closest friend? Disappointment. Only friend? Was my closest friend. I think there's some extra T's in there. <laughs> uh, oh, God, Voyager, huh? All right. Well, <laughs> if I have to. Voyager is helping some aliens avoid getting pummeled by asteroids, but they aren't having a lot of success. They keep uh, fragmenting and hitting the planet anyway, no matter how many times they shoot them good. Yeah, and there's a an alien scientist up there, and he is pessimistic about the whole thing. Mm. He's like, this, this is exactly what happened to us just yesterday. Yeah, you guys aren't any better than we are. We didn't need your help. It's actually been kind of a waste of time. Uh, but a scientist on the planet thinks he knows why they aren't really able to... Uh, to get this job done but before they can get the answer uh they lose contact with him so they gotta send down one of them shuttle teams i guess there's some kind of beamy thing going on again this week yeah there's some there's some messed up ionospheres Mm, so they send a team of tuvork neelix and uh the ambassador's scientific aid that we were talking about a minute ago down to talk to the doctor dude and retrieve him and get his information. But the shuttle crashes, bro. I know it's hard to believe. It's like the standard way a Voyager episode goes to credits now. It's is just... with the shuttle going down. And again, I know that the internet is keeping track somewhere of how many shuttles they have and how many are crashing. But good God. I mean, it's wild. This is a thing that barely happens in TNG. Yeah. It happens in Skin of Evil. Right. Um, in Final Mission, it's not an Enterprise shuttle. No, uh, Power Play. Power Play. Okay, I'll give you Power Play. And I think uh, uh, it happens to Picard in the Love Me episode. But again, that might not. No, that is that. An that yeah, shuttle, that's right? that's one of them little ones. I think happens a few times. Enterprise, no trouble resupplying. Not controversial if they lost five shuttles a season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be like, wow, these guys lose a lot of these things. But uh, some of them are pretty small and expendable. I guess the little. Uh, yeah, but Voyager. The little tiny ones. But Voyager, all alone, no way to resupply. How many Woo! they got? Because just this season, they've lost several. It's getting wild. Yep. Uh, anyway, they meet up with that scientist they were trying to find immediately. He just comes and knocks on the Oh, they crash them. at his house. <laughs> yeah, it was really good piloting because he comes and knocks on the door. Uh, along with some miner that he found who doesn't really do much in this episode. Um... They decide to try and get back to Voyager by using a big ol' orbital tether thing that Neelix sees nearby. But yep. they'll have to repair it first. Um, Neelix meets a lady, and they talk about their sisters. And Oh, yeah, there's good, the good news is, though, that Neelix has experience, so he's able to convince uh, Tuvok to, to take that plan. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Doctor What's-His-Name, the guy they were trying to find, he tries to launch that, that space carriage um, without everybody on board. So they bust in and stop him, but they have no choice but to continue the launch before the repairs are completed. So, like, they going up in this carriage into orbit, but, like, it ain't all working that good. Um, uh, Neelix and Tuvok bicker the, whole, bicker the whole time about Neelix having super good ideas and Tuvok not listening to him. Uh, that scientist guy tries to get on the roof of the carriage because something important is up there, but he dies before he can convince Tuvok to let him go. Uh, Tuvork determines he was poisoned Neelix says they should go up on the roof anyway to check out what he was talking about and even refuses to fly the carriage unless Tuvok agrees Uh, Tuvork goes up there himself uh, and finds a data storage device for some reason just up there what's on that data storage device? (laughs) 
It's not encrypted. It's just hidden on a roof. (laughs) We will 100% get into it because I don't understand anything that happened in this episode. But some tactical plans? He calls, he tells them... Some data and tactical information about an alien starship. Mm -hmm. What's happening in orbit? I I will definitely get to it. Do not worry. We will get there. It won't make sense, but we'll get there. Uh, okay, anyway, so he goes up there, he finds that device, but before he, or that uh, pad, but before he can get it and read it, the ambassador's aide guy, the science guy, turns heel. Uh, he was the bad guy all along, and he poisoned that other scientist, and he throws Tuvok from the roof of the carriage. But it's okay, because Tuvok just holds on to something and climbs back up. Uh, he comes back into the carriage and kicks the guy into orbit or whatever, and Neelix has been injured, but manages to pilot the carriage up above the ionosphere where they are beamed up by Voyager. Meanwhile, Voyager had beamed aboard a sample of these dumb asteroids they haven't been shooting very good, and they find they're a bunch of little homing missiles, just guided asteroids. Yep. It's some dastardly Bond villain plot to force evacuations from planets so that, like, these bad guys can come and settle them real quick and cheap with their own colonies, I guess? Yes, exactly. They begin to track... They're only sort of, they're only sort of asteroid ruined. It's still pretty cheap. <laughs> that's right. They're sort of dusty, but that's not a big deal. They begin to track another big-ass asteroid, but that one turns out to be an enemy warship that's using false sensor, sensor data to appear to be an asteroid. Uh, they start to do a big space fight with Voyager, but once Tuvok and Neelix are back on board, they use the tactical data retrieved from that stupid pad on the top of that carriage. To easily defeat the enemy vessel, uh, Tuvok and Neelix yuck it up a bit, and the show ends. That was the longest of my episode descriptions this week. I'm trying to abbreviate them so we can jump in a little bit quicker to the conversation. What What was this episode trying to tell us? What was the take? So it's tough, because what this episode was about was, wouldn't a space elevator be cool? And also... There was this one movie made once about a bunch of people who were stranded and a guy tried to convince them that he had the expertise to get a plane flying so they could get out of there. But it turns out he was a big fat phony, but they succeeded anyway. Oh, right. So they just put those two things together. Yeah, they made a bottle hmm. episode on a, a, sub, or a space tether of some kind. Yeah. Uh, and the episode is really not... It, like if it's about anything it's about Tuvok and Neelix Mm -hmm. Um, but you gotta come up with something Uh, and what I came up with was desperate times call for desperate measures woof nothing that happens uh, on the surface is uh, like by the book or federation standard or whatever Yeah, and that's why Tuvok is the one that's down there so he can just remind them what the rules are hey that's not doesn't that's not what we do none of this makes sense and everyone on i think everyone down there at some point asks him who made you the boss who died and put you in charge it's and a he's real like, galileo 7 situation and he's like the your planet's ambassador <laughs> literally your, your boss your made society's me ambassador <laughs> yeah it was like uh you'd be like oh who put you in charge and then you'd be like oh uh john Kerry. <laughs> is that what you wanted to hear <laughs> he's the one who did it take it up with him i guess uh, you can go talk to him. Yeah. Uh, what are you, a miner? Who put you in charge? <laughs> yeah, well, you're not in charge. You're a miner. You're you're a dirty, dirty laborer. You get out of my face. 
That's what I should have said. I hold the rank of lieutenant. Don't ask how old I am. I used to be a higher rank, but some stuff happened. Don't ask about it. Some stuff, some stuff happened. I'll tell you about it later. Also, I've already demonstrated that I can crush everybody's hand in here. Like a, a mean dude. Anyway, uh, it's a big so what? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... I'd be very surprised if anybody could find a take for this episode that wasn't a so what. Like, is it... Is it fake it till you make it? Like Neelix talks him out of uh, out of doing his original plan, but his original plan was just to sit there and hope that they were found. Yeah, by the other two shuttles. And it's like, well, an asteroid is going to hit in six hours. That's yeah. That's sort of what forced the uh, that was the ticking clock. So they had right. to get moving on that space tether idea or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. Okay, what is it worth, by the way? Oh, that's uh, one point. Okay, for me, it's not. I, I'm not, I will occasionally give a non-no-take zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is at least something, but it's it's almost not anything. Yeah, it, yes, it might as well not be anything. Um, I think you nailed it with the most basic part of this. It's a Neelix-Tuvok thing. It's been a while since we've seen this one, but it's always Neelix when it happens. It's like a, a shared trauma or a shared emergency can bring even adversaries together. This time... The last time we saw this, I think, was Dinosaur Cave with Tom yeah. Paris and Neelix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This well, Neelix is the fucking data of this show where it's just like sometimes he's just rogue and you're like, what? Yeah. Why do they keep after fair trade? <laughs> yeah, I know. Where then, they murdered a guy and did a lot of lying. And then at the end, he's just like, I just I just wanted to be useful. I thought you were going to get rid of me. <laughs> exactly. And then they're like, okay, all right. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, this time Tuvok comes to see the value Neelix brings when they face a scary carriage ride together, uh, even if he still finds them annoying. So, I mean, to me, that's straight down the line TV. It's not really a take or a concept. It was a four for me. Okay, I'll give it to you. Uh, Ben's got it as a two. Okay. And he says even very different personalities can have mutual respect. Hmm. I feel like this is a grade school lesson, and what is it really saying? Like, yeah, who's on also, the other side of this? Yeah, who exactly? <laughs> who's who's the guy who argues? Nah, hate, hate everyone who isn't the same as you. I mean, again, all of these things are much more obvious in the social media age that there are people out there who are like, who I guess will argue the opposite of this just to be trolls or whatever. Oh yeah, for sure. But um, but yeah, generally speaking, no one's on the other side of this. Uh, jumping into execution for Ben. Yeah, let's do that. He gave it a three. He said, "Ugh, a bottle with Tuvok and Neelix, a wonderful combo of annoying and boring." That's actually what happens a lot in uh, Voyager and Enterprise. I find uh, tension supposed to be there, but Tuvok's bland demeanor really doesn't give us any tension at all. Why would Neelix care about protecting the reputation of Mister Sklar? I don't think he did. I think that was Neelix just having a cool line at the end when he goes, Mr. Sklar, he's returned to the surface. Because that's what the other guy said about Tuvok or whatever, when he thought he kicked him overboard. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah, it was fucking horrible. Um, but I guess, like, you know, maybe they, they got beamed up to the bridge in the middle of that firefight. Maybe he didn't want to be like... Oh, uh, yeah, he's a traitor. He was working with these guys. Anyway, it's a whole thing. <laughs> well, I just wonder why the other guy doesn't go. No, that didn't help me. 
So, uh, Why is he down there? Pick him up later. I don't understand. There's an asteroids going down there. What are you talking about? Why is he down? He's there? our he's our geology guy. We kind of need we yeah. kind of need that guy. Can you explain more? I don't understand. Um, I'm sorry, Captain Janeway. Is this a cultural thing? Is this does everyone does he speak in riddles? Is it is he, the Talaxians <laughs> does, speak in riddles? Uh, we don't. We have we don't have relations with the Talaxians. Are they riddle masters? <laughs> Are they grinning fucking monsters? I hate him. Captain, I immediately hate your monster. At the beginning. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, swinging around, I gave it a two. Uh, I don't much care about the emotional stuff between two of Orc and Neelix. I don't care much for this green screen stuntman windsurfing bullshit that happened on top of that carriage. The whole mystery oh, it on was the- very bad. So, listen. This show, I think this episode was made in like 1995 or something. Uh-huh. It's not it's not in the modern age of special effects. It is definitely firmly rooted in the Babylon 5 era of special effects. Oh, this is for sure fucking uh, Sheridan at Zaha Doom level. It's particularly bad this week. Yeah. Uh, the whole mystery on the carriage is dumb. Why is there a pad full of tactical information on that carriage? How did Dr. Whatever collect that info? What? Nobody has he, even heard of the Atanian Order. They tell us that in this episode. When he fucking calls up, when Dr. Vadim calls up, mm. he says... Thank you for remembering his I've name. Been, I, didn't, I never wrote it down. I've been studying the debris yeah. from these asteroids. Yeah. And I don't think they are what they seem to be. Yes. What he does not say, I have found... A whole bunch of technical schematics, <laughs> including the shield modulation. Why? For a, a weird alien starship that, by the way, can disguise itself as an asteroid. I, I've got those things, but I'm not smart. So I can't just, I don't know how to encrypt that data or keep it secret in any way. I'll just put it somewhere safe. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he doesn't say uh, any luckily, of that. Luckily, luckily... All of these uh, these maglev carriages have got a special little panel on the top. It's got like a little thing, like a lever. It has a little, a little lever that you can sort of wedge one of these <laughs> things in, and it just looks like it's fucking standard. Oh, so wild. What a wild conceit. Anyway, I hope that ship isn't capable of kicking Voyager's ass real bad until and unless we beam up with this data. Also, how did we get up there with the shields? It, uh, you know what? You know what? The whole thing was very aggravating. It was... they Voyager is often guilty of this, but they really do not care about what the rules of the universe are or anything. They just... Nope. They band-aid their way through everything, but the fact that that pad just kept coming up and kept coming into play... Oh, it was so wild. Um. Finally, we're three... It's like, also, by the way, they can't even... They can't maintain any drama about this at all. Tuvok is going to tell him he's found this fucking starship. Smash cut to the bridge. Starship warps in. Yeah. Is there any question that they're going to need that pad? (laughs) Absolutely not. That pad is crucial. (laughs) And by the way, there was no reason. They did not state a good reason that Neelix should have 100% believed there was a good reason to get up on the roof. Nah. He just did. And he refused to proceed. I don't know, that guy was willing to risk his life to get back up there. That well, guy had already proven to be an insano. 
But what if the first thing that that poison did was make you crazy? Yeah. Also, he tried to leave without him earlier on. Like, the guy was clearly a weird fucking dude. I'm just... Also, when did he get... He was very paranoid. Also, when did he get poisoned? Yep. Who knows? I don't know. They didn't have a lot of he... supplies or, like, food or drink, so I don't know. Sorry I jumped in. No, Please okay. continue. Uh, finally, we're three years into this shit now, right? It's not mm-hmm. fun that the crew still all don't like each other. <laughs> it's not more entertaining this way. No. I don't need to see well, any also, more of these. It's never for any real reason. No. He's just like, uh, I'm stern and you're jolly and I hate you. It's not like there's a thing in this episode where it's like, well, you know, the Maquis, they still kind of feel like prisoners on this ship. And also, like, maybe they're going home to maybe go to jail. Well. And also, who knows what's happening to their families and their farms and everything that they were fighting for while they're here. I don't, nah. I don't, I don't know if we talked about it last week. I think we did. But, like, hey, um, why doesn't Neelix ever bring up the one thing that he should be mad about? That all the Maquis got uniforms and commissions and he didn't. All the he known traitors and fugitives got all the fucking uniforms. <sighs> yeah, and they're like, well, can't, do you cook? <laughs> well, sticky in the fucking kitchen. It's real, it's hot in there and it smells bad, but uh, you're a monster, so. <laughs> you're a grinning monster. You just sit back there and serve us some fucking Leola roots. Yeah, I don't know, man. Not good, too. Two for me. So, uh, so first of all, I'm a three. Okay. Uh, 14 minutes into this show, we had conflicts between Tuvok and Neelix. Yeah. Uh, an impatient miner. Yeah. A scientist, a paranoid scientist with a secret. Yeah. And a violent space hobo. <laughs> yes. Who had uh, pulled a knife on Neelix earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's that lady and I talked about. And at that point, I wrote, feels like they don't need this much internal conflict. Yeah. They, this was all over the place. They didn't really know what they were doing. They just kind of spread it all around. This is an episode where every time they mentioned a number, it threw me out of the universe. I don't think anything about how high up they were or how fast they were going made sense. Yeah, they were only going 40 kilometers an hour or whatever. And it's like, yeah. that's not very fast. Uh, we're going up to 47 kilometers an hour. Um, that's fine. That's, it seems like a like about a three-hour trip to orbit, but that's okay. Yeah. Space is not that far away. Right. And they didn't need to get all the way up there. But at one point, Tuvok suggested that they were already 30 kilometers up. Yeah. And then about 10 minutes later, he goes outside. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, Vulcans, they can handle it. Vulcans can handle anything. TOS did it a little, and then the other shows went, no, 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 check it out, though. <laughs> the Vulcans are basically Superman. Like, all of them. Yeah. I mean, Enterprise isn't the worst of all, where the fucking Vulcans are immune to almost every single thing. Let's talk about the Italian Order. Okay. Yeah, the ones that the... no one's ever heard of, but somehow this guy has a pad full of tactical information on them? Yeah, these randos show up with a ship that just beats Voyager's ass. Oh, yeah. It's just not... A th- like... Voyager files back, fires back, and uh, whoever's shooting the phasers, Chakotay or whatever, goes says, no effect. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you probably should run. 
why do these guys need this asteroid scheme to evict three thousand miners or five thousand miners or something? Yeah. Yes. Internal logic is what you're asking for. Why don't they use their very powerful ship instead? Mm, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, the Voyager yeah. writers had a very good reason. Uh, none of the supporting characters in this show is interesting or effective. No. Not Lilius, who uh, Neelix tells about his sister. Uh, that's the hobo. Space hobo. Yep. Uh, the miner might as well not be here. Seriously, I don't know what his role was in this, except to, again, every once in a while I go, Who put you in charge? I'm a miner. Yeah, I- I assume he survived from a first draft that was heavily cribbed from the episode Allegiance of TNG. <laughs> yep. And his role was to be... The Chalnoth? The guy who can't eat the gel? The Chalnoth. The Chalnoth? <laughs> yes, he's, he looks at that hockey puck and he's like, I'm not going to be able to eat this. I got to warn you all. I'm going to eat one of you. But yep. <laughs> for sure, I'm going to eat you guys. And we'll start with one, but I'm going to eat all of you if we don't get out of here. We'll see if that turns out to be a better show. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. <laughs> um... Well, I can wait because I know next week is. But anyway, this guy is great. an orphan from that draft because mm-hmm. he does nothing the whole time. Yeah, dude. Every fucking every name in uh, in your language, every name in your language means warrior or fighter. Uh, Doctor Sklar, the eventual traitor, is maybe the worst actor that's been in Voyager so far. Very bad. His performance is super distracting, and then as a character, he just does nothing. And he just is a coward, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, he, like, donkey kicks Neelix <laughs> off of a ladder. Yeah, and then he goes up there, and despite Tuvok's super strength, as he previously showed us, he just fucking tosses him overboard. Like just he throws nothing. him overboard, right, yeah. That's uh, alright, though, because he, he gets kicked, and then he shimmies his way out the door. <laughs> and then he runs backward <laughs> out, out of the door, and it looks like... Uh, the episode of Running Man I watched last night where Kwong Su kept talking about how great, good he was going to be at jumping backwards and, and then, then <laughs> jumped about 40 centimeters backwards and it was real pathetic. Oh, I'm glad you've seen that. Was that the one where the lady accused him of having rotten toenails? Uh, that, yes, that was definitely the one <laughs> it's where... It's so good, Kukju. <laughs> Kukju accused... Who, by the way, was a great guest the first time she was Love her. Real good. And then... Uh, can't get the, enough of her. She does a thing that Korean celebrities do where she knows what her type is, why yes, she's there, and, and she, she plays to she it. She goes hard. She's like, oh, I'm the fat monster? That's me. Yep. And she gets after it. She came back recently and started talking about his rotten toenails again. I, I mean, let's be fair. It's not just Korean actors. Like, uh, she is. she's doing a real good Chris Farley. Yes, exactly. This. Yes. Like, the the exact way Chris Farley plays with his uh, physicality is what she's doing in here. But, uh, yeah, she did accuse him of having rotten tonos. Anyway, this guy's backwards jump out of the uh, maglev so... carriage is not, is not credible. I laughed at a pitch I didn't know I could still hit when I saw that guy shimmy, shimmy his way out of that door when Tuvok gave him a light kick. I could not believe they, that was the best take. Um, so anyway, I gave it a three and not a zero. The only part of this bad show that sort of works was when Neelix stood up for himself, and it only works because uh, Tim Russ's actor's secret for Tuvok has been asshole for the whole show. <laughs> yes. And like just a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, again, in fair trade, he comes up and he's like, hey, uh, what happened to security training today? And Tuvok's like, you were serious about that? Oh, uh, yeah, you. I thought you were just being like a, I thought you were being a funny monster. So, I mean, it is definitely the case that uh, Tuvok really really is kind of shitty to Neelix. Mm-hmm. And so having him stand up was the only part that kind of worked. 
Um, couple of quick questions that are not addressed by the show that I have for you. Oh boy. Uh, Janeway is willing to fight to the death for these uh, Nezu, yeah, which is the name of the aliens. Yeah, for but why? For a few of them. I mean, not even like for all of them. It's not like she's defending their home planet. It's just for this one little colony. This episode begins with these aliens standing on the bridge of the ship. Mm. At no point do they circle back and discuss how they met. Nope. If Voyager is trying to do some deal, like, hey, we're save, we'll save your mining colony, but we want some minerals. You know we love or, minerals. You know how we gotta get them minerals. Uh... I wonder if someone it's, just told Janeway minerals were good and she just keeps like acquiring them and she doesn't know what good they are. She just keeps like storing them in the cargo bays. She, one time they needed a mineral and they didn't have any. And, and now never she's again. Like, now she's like me playing any Final Fantasy <laughs> game where it's like, I have 98 tinctures. I should get 99. But I kind of, I don't want to use one now. <laughs> what if I need <laughs> yeah. What if I end up needing it later? I better build 30 more levels to make sure I won't need to use that tincture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And there's just like... Voyager is just in this scenario. And they don't even do a lip service about it. And by the way, it's going to happen again this week. Yeah, I got characterization notes for January for sure on this one. So anyway, uh, you know, what's happening here? Mm -hmm. It's a very good question. Um, let's uh, swing around to world building. Ben gave it a two. He says two throwaway races, space elevators exist, asteroids being used as weapons. Mm. This alien ship is stronger than Voyager. Voyager must feel like the first ship to discover Australia, and it's all poisonous snakes and spiders and shit. Well, then maybe they should just go home. Sometimes it's weird sex aliens. Sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if they like that or don't. It seems like they kind of like it when it's weird sex. Also, aliens. one time it was a, a planet, an inhabitable planet full of humans that they opted not to live on. So another time it, they found like um, the Silver Surfer or something, but he like copied all the crew. You remember that? <laughs> remember when that Silver Goo made a new Harry Kim? Hey, I don't. <laughs> I like how forgettable Voyager is. You're just like, <laughs> that really happened? You're just like, no, I straight up do not remember that. They went to some fucking hell planet. They were wearing their EV suits. They went down there, got attacked by a silver goo, and then Harry Kim came back without his EV suit, and everyone was like, oh, how are you walking around out here? And it turns out it's because the alien goo made a new Harry Kim that could only live on that planet. And then they left a whole crew of doppelganger Voyagers on that planet. Okay, I think what happened is I have never seen this episode and it's still coming. No, that can't be true. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. All right, well, now I'm going to look it up. Um, I definitely don't think we've seen a whole crew of doppelganger Voyagers. Harry Kim. Not the, not the alternate universe Harry Kim who came to live in our universe because Janeway 2 had to put things right. <laughs> I'm, I know, I'm trying to think here. Um, uh, mm, uh, God, I'm, this is so hard to search for. Um, no, I don't just want the article on Harry Kim. It's crazy. Uh, I think you have given me a sneak peek at a Voyager episode I have never seen. That cannot be true. How could that be true? I could have sworn we watched it this time around. <sighs> I can't find it on the search. I'll just... I'll, I'll find it later. Hold on. Now, now I gotta know. Oh, Harry Kim... But he dies so many times, it's so hard. Ganger. Sil- silver blood. Silver blood. 
We have not watched an episode called Silver Blood. Uh, for real? How did I think that already happened? Is it because it's bad? So I just assumed we'd already seen it. For real, though? We haven't seen this yet? Yeah, hang on. Uh, the, what season the is this? the name of this fucking episode? Oh, the Silver Blood was a bio biomimetic life form. Ugh, God. Yeah, what? It counted in 2374. Hold on. Uh, oh, demon. no. Demon. is Demon. Okay, yeah, that has not. That is season. Why is this so hard? Season four. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, that's still hey. coming. So thanks. Hey, hey guys. Spo- hey, everyone. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> this is okay because we intentionally <laughs> we we continually talk about episodes of TNG no, that are years in our future. That part's fine, but I was really glad we'd already seen it. <laughs> I was glad it nope. was done. No, that's uh, still coming. Now I get to look forward to that. Oh, actually, well, hey, uh, I don't Harry even Kim and everybody become double double gang. I don't even remember why I brought that up. Uh, but, world building. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I gave it one point. Okay. Ben's two is generous. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I took from this is that orbital tethers are common enough that Neelix can claim to have worked on one, and no one's like, "Nah, that's bullshit." Yeah, plus he's got that whole jack of, jack of all trades thing going on where he's had like a million backstories, so they probably just go, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, because he's a con man. Yeah, it turns out, yep. He's not reliable, that's all I'm saying. Murdered a guy not that long uh, ago. But but again, uh, because we don't even know why Voyager is working with these aliens, is it just a mission of mercy? Yeah, I don't know. Because we don't even know why they're working with them, I... I I find it very difficult to find anything that happens in this episode to be world building. You're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, here's what I got. If they had just had to fix their shuttle somehow, if Neelix just had to help them fix their shuttle and it was a real problem, this would be a zero for world building for me. But then they couldn't have had all that stuff about the asteroids being homing missiles and they needed that pad. Anyway... I mean, it could have still been, like, the guy could have put it on in one of the nacelles or something. Uh, Vulcans are crazy strong. Not sure if that's new, but he did a full-on fist smash when that guy tried to punch him. Everything... I don't think that... By the way, I I think that's well-established. Everything about these space tethers and maglev carriages. Artificial asteroids programmed to home in, like, missiles... Vulcans are also less susceptible to, like, low oxygen issues. The Atomian Order. I had it as a two. Uh, fine. This is this episode's not going to win the week. I'm not going to try to argue. Oh my god! It, from a two. If this wins the week, we've had a terrible week. Uh, if this would, if this were, if this episode won the week, uh, we we could quit. <laughs> it's finally that's how the, the we have permission now. We have like a line in the sand. Yeah, we could just release one episode next week that said, uh, hey, for everybody who's wondering, the project stopped at episode 60. Please feel free to listen to episode 60 to find out why. Continue our work, please. I want someone else we'll, to do it. We'll be back next week comparing uh, Babylon 5, Sequest <laughs> DSV, uh, Space Rangers. Stargate, Stargate SG-1. <laughs> Space Rangers doesn't have enough episodes. Oh, dang. Um yeah, I don't know what other spacey ones there are out there. Uh, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Lex. And also... <laughs> what is that? 
Lex yeah. was like a Canadian one. Oh, no. I was going to say Andromeda, maybe. We could do like Andromeda. Oh, maybe Andromeda. I don't know. Isn't that a Gene Roddenberry property? We'll do Farscape. I think that was <laughs> one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, so it was a two for me. Characterization swinging around. Ben gave it a two. He said, that Sklar guy looks like Vedic Burial. I don't know about that. No wonder Tuvok hates Neelix. He's fucking useless. Uh, no, the Skalar guy looked like the sheriff from Enterprise this week. Oh, you mean uh, the same guy who went, bye-bye, Hathaway. <laughs> oh, God, is it? That's who the sheriff is. Ooh, he put on some weight, huh? Yeah, it's been a while, you know? That I was guess so. late 80s to early aughts or whatever. He looked real familiar, yeah. but I did not look him up. I didn't realize he was Enterprise's worst security officer who Worf <laughs> immediately fired for letting Wesley oh, take yeah. that antimatter. Oh, 100%. <laughs> You know, Worf went back there and he was telling the story about how he somehow was able to program the Ferengi view screen to show Romulans or whatever. Yep. And then he was like, uh, by the way, Wesley Crusher came back with some antimatter. Uh, and actually, now that I think <laughs> about it, that's you, that's you, right? You were the one. Have fun. Have fun on a cargo ship because you're a done in Starfleet, buddy. <laughs> that guy's actually been like four or five different Star Trek characters, but none of them are that memorable. I, I, looked up, I looked up your shit. You don't have any other cross-trending to go back on. You were like 100% in on security, That's and you're right. not good at it. Yeah. This was your one day in charge of security on the Enterprise? You didn't get the memo that Picard likes his junior officers to learn, learn, learn. So. I reviewed the surveillance footage from engineering. You were just so bored you didn't even look at what he was doing. <laughs> I know Wesley's boring, but all you had to do was walk down there and look at him for a minute. I mean. <laughs> uh, anyway, Janeway doesn't bother to understand the situation or de-escalate. She just doubles down based on what one alien species has told her. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Neelix bleeds red. Okay. That's characterization. Yeah. Uh, this is an episode in which uh, Neelix talks about his family and the war and stuff mm -hmm. uh, and but his yeah. feelings about how people treat him and his feelings about how he's treated mm -hmm. and but he bleeds uh, red he wants from his relationship with tuvok but he does bleed red here 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 i'll let me do mine Neelix. by the way I, this is not me taking a shot at ben i don't think any of that shit landed either no nothing really landed uh neelix is still doing starfleet training he just can't please tuvok though maybe he should stop calling him mr vulcan that's a good start <laughs> It probably is a good start. Just give it a shot. I mean, it's a little racist. See how it feels. Um, Neelix's favorite sister was Elixia, which I think we learned in Jatral or Cathexis or whatever one it was. We did learn all about his family in Jatral. I What I don't remember is Elixia because it would have sounded at the time like something I did not need to know. Uh, Neelix talks to his dead family every night. Neelix thought building models of these carriages was the same thing as being an engineer. Neelix has a weird breakdown when Tuvok won't do his good idea. Um, Tuvok may hate Neelix's guts, but at least he pretends to consider his opinions, like when he wants to use that carriage. Um, but why does he let hostage Neelix do all the talking at knife point, though? I, this is a very good question. Was he hoping Neelix would get stabbed? Well, listen, uh... I it seems like by the end of this episode, Tuvok might have reflected a little bit about his feelings for Neelix. Okay. Uh, he may have been like, well, I don't, I'm not going to love telling Kess about this. Right. When I go back up there because My she daughter and I Kess. have a separate relationship. Mm -hmm. 
but my three-year-old daughter. But has. I mean, I'm if I'm honest. I'm not gonna hate it. <laughs> then he um, then he rags on Neelix for chatting with that lady. Tuvok does too have instincts and feelings. My example, as always, is <laughs> the, the time that he called a dog. Dog witness. <laughs> Come on, that doesn't show instinct. Uh, no, it was. He didn't know what that dog would do. Yeah, that dog could have just got on there and peed or something. Yeah, what if the dog did recognize the person but didn't like them? That's right. Or just didn't care. Yeah, or he's just dog a dog. It was just fuck. like, I don't know, man. Tuvok wants me to do something, and he seems like he's in charge around here. That's me. I'm just going to run around Should this couch. I lick him? Gonna, Should I lick I'm him? I'm going to run around this couch 50 times in a row. This has got to be it. <laughs> I'm going to jump on him. I'm a good boy. <laughs> uh, example two, he manipulates the shit out of Neelix to get him to drive the carriage with a broken skull. Uh, yep, that is true. He does, Neelix is very concussed, and Tuvok's solution is, come on, buddy, we're all counting on you. We need you. And by the way, it works. Mm-hmm. Neelix doesn't even seem to have a headache for the rest of the episode. No, he just gets up and goes over there, and he's like, that's all I wanted to hear. He gets all those fucking feelings, and then it makes the fucking CTE go away for a little while. Anyway, they, uh, I would love if they tried this approach in the NFL. I think it'd be great if a guy took a got his bell rung real good, and the coach is just out there like, "Oh you, man, buddy. you're the best." Come on, buddy. I know I I know I yelled at you during practice a lot, but you really are great. Well, really, we all count on you every day. You're anyway, just... we're running the two minute drill, so get back out there. <laughs> That's right. Uh, why is Janeway so irrationally confident? She just struts around on the bridge and threatens every alien she runs into. Does she remember there's only one Starfleet vessel out there? Like, it's Picard's time in Star Trek is a special time, and she kind of fits into that era. But, like, he is in the Alpha Quadrant. Yep. He can just um, get more ships if things go real fucking bad. Right. But let's say that you, Matthew, were a member of Vic Morrow's squad in combat. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. This is exactly, this is my sweet spot. And Vic uh, Morrow! You'd seen Gage get gut shot 45 times or whatever. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, Vic Morrow was away and uh, you were given orders. Yeah. You'd just send Gage into any kind of rough situation, right? Because, like, even if he takes one, uh, yeah, he's, he'll be fine next week. He's a bullet magnet, but, yeah, he absorbs that shit and just gets stronger, I think? Somehow he gets Voyager, stronger. Voyager's been ripped to shits. Yeah. Uh, what is this, week 60? 54 times already? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Every week, it's the same brand new studio model. It don't look like there's ever been any lasting damage or impact no. to any of her other Cavalier adventures, so you can see how she's learned some bad lessons. It's true. The continuity of the ship's repair is not much better than the continuity of the shuttle situation. Yeah. Um... No, again, I will remind you, uh, in TNG, Enterprise is in... I mean, they're on the edge of Federation territory or whatever, uh, they're in a starbase twice a season getting something fixed. Oh, yeah, all the time. Regular maintenance. Uh, they're still in space dock during the episode after the Wolf 359. That's right. Fam- the only family. continuity. The only continuity that exists. Basically. Non two part episodes. Um, yeah, Vo- yeah. To me, Voyager is like uh, a basketball team that always finds a way to pull out a win after they've played like shit, every, like game after game after game. And they just get to that point where they don't mind being down by 15 or 20 because they're like, ah, you know, we'll flip the switch in the fourth quarter. We'll figure it out. And it's just like eventually that shit runs out. 
Anyway, that's my answer to what's up with Janeway's irrational confidence. Because seriously, these aliens show up in their in their ship that is disguised as an asteroid, and she looks so fucking smug. Oh, yeah. She just gets up there and is like, Oh, really? Well, fuck you. And then, you know, they get shot the ship for a while before they get that magic pad. Um, It's a three for me. Uh, yeah, I also gave it three. Um, how can you do a whole episode of conflict between Tuvok and Neelix and not mention Tuvix at all? We were, because neither one of them even remembers being Tuvix. Okay, but how do they feel about that whole thing having happened? Well, the way they should feel about it is, I gotta fix my shit because everyone liked Tuvix better than me. It's true of both of them. You know that they must have all heard that by now. Mm-hmm. God. Someone told them when they were pissed off, or yep. someone let it slip. They heard it like someone was walking around the corner, and they heard them going, you know who was fucking chill was fucking Tuvix. Or someone is constantly telling Tuvok, like, I don't know, man, like, when you were Tuvix. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I, I, transporters, time? I don't remember any of that. Remember the time when you were Tuvix, and you let me turn that report in 15 minutes late? Like, that shit was fucking real. Like, you were like real good boss back then. Like, two weeks before they broke up. Kess was trying to get Neelix to pretend to be Tuvok, uh, Tuvix in bed. Just <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to do anything now anything to keep this all. going. I'm willing. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because you rescued me from that planet. Uh, Tuvok is very dismissive of Neelix in this episode. He does tell him if he's got time to lean, he's got time to clean or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, Neelix is kind of a wild asshole. Yes. Lying about his tether experience, holding the carriage hostage unless he yeah. gets to check the roof. What a so, baby. N- neither of them comes off looking good. And the final scene at the end where they're like, uh, one day you'll learn about how logic is the better way to do it. Oh, you have to get the last word in. Oh, but uh, I'm not going to say it, but you're also getting the last word in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Really papers over some serious issues. Yeah, they can banter. That's what matters, according to the writers and- of Voyager. And that's the best part of the episode, frankly, is the character work between the two of them. And that tells you a lot about this episode. I gave it three points. It was the part that we scored the highest of the episode. Yeah. Just not very high. What's the only thing they were, like, that they clearly were trying to do? Yeah. And also no one else is in it except to not make any sense. Mm. Uh, Ben's just got a couple of quick hitters. Let's hear them. How did Tuvok know he was stronger than that dude? Good question. He just, I think being a Vulcan just makes you like that. You're just like, I'm I'm probably stronger. I mean, this is, uh, at this point, this is after, no, sorry, that was before Tuvok got his talking to about being arrogant, but it's more arrogance. Oh, for sure. Uh, He says Tuvok's soundstage acting on top of that carriage was just painful. Yeah. It wasn't good. The blue screen was very bad, and his acting was very bad. There was nothing about it. I don't know. Like, there were a lot it, of times in this always, episode where I said, "Really, that was the best take." Okay, it's always bad when someone in Star Trek has to go outside in bad conditions. <laughs> yep. Because by the Cause way, they, first of all, it's never shot outside. I was going to say they do almost no on-location shooting. It's always a fucking soundstage. Well, I mean, like, uh, in the Survivors, mm-hmm. they were at that beach house in Malibu all day or whatever. I was into but, it. Uh, it was a sunny, bright day. Mm-hmm, yeah. Never, There's never anything wrong. <laughs> no tornadoes whipped up or anything they had to yeah, exactly. act against. Yeah. Uh, he says that it was old school TOS level. I think that's not quite fair. To TOS? To TOS. I agree. 
100%. It's usually not the acting. Like, it's not Spock's fault that 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 huge styrofoam spear that a PA threw accidentally hit him and now it doesn't make any sense. Or the fact that he, it was kind of a swell, he lifted it like it was made of foam at one right. point when he took it out of the, out of the Yeti or out of the man, maybe out of the, the security man or whatever. Uh, let's talk about a moment that you, you glossed over. Mm. They beam up some of this debris. Yeah. It's up there in engineering. Right. Uh... They have phasers, laser welders, and transporters, and scanners, and all kinds of shit. Chakotay's busting this rock open with a hammer. Boy, it is like he thinks it's just a rock, and he just treats it like, ah, it's just a rock. He's just got his old, (laughs) worn, used archaeology hammer that he probably inherited from Don Alejandro. Yep. You mean, uh, oh, hold on, I know, we learned his dad's name one time, um... I just want to say Nanaki, but I know that's Red 13. Um, <laughs> that's Red 13. Fuck, uh, Final Fantasy 7. Shit. Well, we did learn his dad's name. I forgot it. Sorry. Uh, he will always be Don Alejandro to me. Sure. That's fair. Anyway, he just cracks it open with a hammer and it's full of crystals and shit. Full of optical chips. Yeah. Why? But let's, again, why would they need a guidance system in an asteroid? You just push it in the right direction. Like... The reason that an asteroid is such a terrifying space weapon in science fiction is that you just get it going and it does the rest. Yeah, as long as it's moving with uh, some velocity, it's going to... I mean, you know what? As long as it gets into the atmosphere, it's going to get some velocity. Yeah, it doesn't need to um, change directions. It doesn't need a homing system. They must have known there was going to be someone out there shooting them. But is it the homing system that kept the asteroid from breaking up the way they wanted? Yes, because the problem isn't that they broke up. The problem is that the, some of the fragments eluded them. So it breaks up, and then they start to shoot down the fragments, but they don't get all of them because they got fucking guidance chips. All right, I guess you're right. Which is... Boy, that seems like all the evidence they yeah, would Yeah, very suspicious. <laughs> that it's not normals. Yes. Oh, everything about the way the Voyager crew acts is ridiculous. Oh, uh, also one more thing. They've got incoming asteroids. They know this one's six hours away. They're just going to sit there. Mm. The, did they They missed Spock's rock talk. <laughs> That's right. He showed them. He showed them with bad scale. The scale was bad. Don't they know that if they go those six hours further away, they've got a better chance? That's right. Anyway. Uh, Tuvok definitely can't breathe the atmosphere more than 30 kilometers up. That's three Mount Everests high. It's Vulcanian, though. Yeah, I get it, but like even with the Triox compound, when it comes time to fight with the on wound up there, it's it's gonna be serious. <laughs> what if he um, what if he's got rocket boots though? Because I know Vulcans like those. Anyway, I didn't see any evidence of rocket <laughs> boots, but he did get back into the carriage somehow. That's right. Um, does this alien plot rely on timing? Is there some reason that the invasion is like six hours after the last asteroid strike? Not that we are told. It doesn't seem like it even gives them enough time to evacuate. No, I think you'd want to give them some more time if you wanted an easy one. Like, why are they in such a hurry? You need this colony by tomorrow? (laughs) Why? They gotta get in there real quick so they can claim squatters right. (laughs) Yes! I give best actor to Neelix, uh, as did Ben. We're both kind of like an I guess on that. He gave worst actor to Tuvok, but I thought it was definitely Sklar. Yeah. Uh, I got some quick ones. Give them to me. 
Here's what I have written in real time. Couldn't be more apparent that this opening scene is just a simulation. Those guys were particularly unbothered by failing to get those asteroid fragments. Oh shit, those are real asteroids? <laughs> yep. <laughs> then, this is what I mean by the crew acting dumb the entire episode. It is a lot like that episode where Worf's torpedo test goes off target and they have to go retrieve the torpedo. And it like starts with like a battle music and you're like, oh, what are they up to? And then you soon realize it's just a test or a simulation or whatever. Um, this crew is so dumb. Could he have found something important? Yeah, bro. He said before the communications cut out that he thought they were artificially constructed asteroids, <laughs> dumb shit. Why can't people on TV hear the messages that come in over the view screen? They're fucking not... You know like how sometimes you'll tell a good joke on this show, but I'll be I'll already <laughs> be thinking of what I'm going to butt in and say. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I'll just Human miss nature. your good joke entirely. Uh-huh. It's because a Starfleet officer, especially if you're sitting in the front, you got to be ready with a quip. Like, oh, that's Starfleet tradition. Yes. you got to be ready to turn around and say, look who's coming to dinner or whatever the fuck. Yep. And so... That's why Jordy was never prepared to really really respond to what was happening on the screen. Yeah, and so just like... Just like... Everyone was like, oh, we're going to have to go down and get that guy. And Janeway's already thinking, should I send three shuttles down? What if they all crash? <laughs> Those are Which our last three. par for the course. <laughs> I just... Um... <sighs> So not only do they say, could he have found something important, but then they pull up one of these asteroid fragments and they just looking at it and hitting it with a hammer. And it's like, he already told you, please replay what he, he fucking said it. I saw it. Just replay the message. He says they're artificially constructed asteroids. Ah! Uh, they're, their shit's on the fritz, dude. The last thing they recorded was that summoning circle that, uh, that brings a friendly angel. Ah, I see. And they don't want that asshole Gorgon showing up again. Did you guys call me? No, we didn't. Well, I think you no, should Gorgon. have called me, and you called me, you shall. You have the power, and uh, we'll have some new friends when we reach <laughs> And don't Marcus forget my 12. catchphrase, as you believe, so shall you do. So, <laughs> so shall you do. do. As, you believe, as you believe, so, so shall you do. That is etched upon my heart i love that um uh, you're gonna really love all my christmas presents to you this year oh good i'm i was hoping that you could find somebody either on etsy or something who had made some real good gorgon stuff I uh, well i'm gonna have to buy <laughs> uh, uh the cape from hey do you remember that uh mexican preacher no who? okay so on one of the on one of the spanish language stations okay. where, where we're growing up there was a weird preacher who was either transitioning to become a woman or transitioning to become a cat. Oh. <laughs> but he had intense plastic surgery. Okay. And he wore a lot of sparkly Gorgon-like outfits. And he was a preacher. I, I, that was the sense that I got. A televangelist? Yes. Wow. No, I do not remember that, and I'm glad because it sounds horrifying. I must have blocked it out. What are people going to do when now that they've cut the cord mm. and they don't just see whatever's on cable access or... It's true that we spent way too much time checking those channels out back in the old days. Yeah. Way like now much. I'll just watch something on Netflix and it's like, it's never going to be Universe of Yahweh. No, because the whole point was we didn't choose that shit. We just scanned by and went, wait, what's happening? Hold on, what now? Is that a map of... Is that a map of Florida? Is that Miami, Florida? What's happening right now? Hold on, he is asserting that it is Jerusalem. Because <laughs> Florida's in the USA. It's obvious. 
And what are the middle letters in Jerusalem, Matthew? I think they're USA. I bear witness to you today. Uh, Let's see. Neelix says he's the only one who can pilot the carriage. All he did the entire episode was pull the lever up or down. Yeah. That's it. But to be fair, he was offering to teach Tuvok how to fly the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And then everyone got sidetracked when that guy keeled over dead. Sure, but like, what did he have to teach? Like, you, he pushed the lever the one way and the thing started to go. And then he pulled it the other way. It stopped going. I'm just yeah. saying. Uh, let's see. Marjan and I laughed so hard when that Tuvok showed up in the window. <laughs> it was really an embarrassing moment for Star Trek. Uh, it was very bad. On the memory alpha, there is a picture of that shot with just the blue screen behind it, and it doesn't look any more credible. <laughs> uh, again, the guy backing out of the door after Tuvok kicked him once was wild. Um, and again, Neelix's quips do not help explain what happened to Sklar. The ambassador should go, I'm serious, what happened to Sklar? Anyway, um, we spent almost an hour talking about this fucking episode. Yep, so much for your short description. Well, no, the whole point of your short description was to... T- Spend more time elsewhere. Yep. Well, we did. <laughs> we spent more time. Well, let's see if the other method works any better because okay. uh, next in the order is TOS. All right. This week we watched Is There in Truth No Beauty? Enterprise is returning a Medusan ambassador back to their home planet. Let me tell you about these guys. Mm. Seeing one leads to madness, but they're great dudes. Well, that's one way to put it. I thought the way Kirk put it was even better. That their thoughts uh, well, were the I mean, most sublime you... in the entire galaxy yeah. or whatever. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, fine. Now, maybe I won't do any of my quick hitters this week. <laughs> Sorry. Uh Spock, uh, Spock, though, he's Vulcanian, so as long as he wears a special visor that allows you to read the secret message <laughs> in the back of your Sports Illustrated for Kids, uh-huh. he can uh, look at them, I guess. So uh, he, he puts that on, everyone gets out of the transporter room, and uh, he beams up a box that I guess contains Ambassador Kalos. <laughs> Either that or a and, bunch of jewels, but it's a Betazoid gift box, so it's got a yeah, face. It's a Betazoid gift box, so it's going to be annoying. So it's going to be Armin Shimmerman or whatever. It will be Armin Shimmerman with his face all mashed in a box. <laughs> uh, and also he beams up a Dr. Oh no, Miranda? Miranda what the fuck's Jones. Name? Miranda Jones. Mm. I only wrote Dr. Jones. Uh, played by Kate, uh, Diana Maldar. Maldar. You can do it. I almost said Kate Mulgrew. Yep. <laughs> but that's different. Otherwise known as the lady uh, who played Pulaski. Dr. Pulaski. Yeah. Uh, she's also been in this show already before. Role number two in TOS for her. Uh, and uh, she is accompanying him. She's got one of these visors on too. Uh, they have the decks cleared and, uh, they put one of those anti-grav handles on his crate and Spock and Dr. Jones take him to his, uh, to his quarters and they discuss telepathy for a little bit. And this is where we learn that her deal is that she is human, but she was a born telepath and she went to Vulcan to train. Okay. And I guess that's why she can wear the visor. No, you know, mm. Not that's really the, explained. It is presented as... That's the reason she gives to Kirk. I think it's something where, like, everyone assumes that must be why, but no one really talks. Did she actually say yeah. that to Kirk? I think she says it to, eh. to Kirk, yeah. yeah. 
maybe we'll find out another reason. Yeah. So they get to, they get this little boy to his quarters, uh, and Doctor Jones immediately makes some cryptic, jealous remarks mm. about how she's sure Spock is tempted to replace her, and how he thinks he can do the mind fusion better. Yeah, because he et turned down the post of hanging with Ambassador Kolos. Right. And like this dude has popped open and kaleidoscope colors have come out. And so Spock could uh, talk to him for a minute. Mm. And then when he left, she's like real jealous. Like, what did he see? Or something like that. I hope Kolos. I mean, we'll get to meet him later. I hope he's pretty chill because I would get rid of I'd get tired of this chick like right away. It, honestly, it, I was already tired. We're f- four minutes in, maybe. What did you what are you looking at? What did you look at in his brain? Just like, uh, relax. So we, we cut to the captain's table. Which I think is just a briefing room, but they took the lie detector triangle off or something. Just too bad. Uh, where? Uh, oh, sorry. This is where this is where she says that her ability to withstand colossal gazes from studying on Vulcan. Okay. Uh, it seems like the big plan, the the whole thing that's going on here is someone is going to establish a mind link with the Medusans. And then Dr. Jones and this engineer that she brought on board are going to adapt starship instruments because the Medusans are amazing navigators. Okay. They kind of have to be. They don't have bodies or anything, so... Right. Makes it tough. Uh, Everyone is insane with horniness for Dr. Jones. Mm, In a real TOS 60s way. Like, they tell her she's the most beautiful woman about 400 times in this episode. It's what passed for complimenting a woman in the 1960s. Yeah, and they don't even seem that put off when she gets a weird look on her face and announces that someone is contemplating murder. Someone at this very table. That's right. That's because at least one of them went, yeah, murdering that pussy. <laughs> yeah. You just someone's, go, gonna get, <sighs> someone's gonna catch a stabbing for sure. And then she went, I heard that! Anyway... Axe wound. No. <laughs> um. Anyway, dinner is adjourned, mm. and the engineer Larry something mm. shows up at Miranda's door to uh, beg her to marry him for what seems like probably the fiftieth time. Yep. Uh, after he gets his fiftieth, no thanks. She reveals that he's the one who has the murder thoughts. Yeah. She can't. She doesn't seem to be able to tell that the th- person he wants to murder is Kalos, though, even though it's kind of like how Cass can't... No one can figure out that the person they should really be jealous of with Cass is the doctor. That's right. Tom it's Paris. right in front of them all along, but none of them can see it. Th- this idiot can't figure out that it's Kalos is his main uh, rival or whatever. Right. Anyway, he, uh, he goes right to the ambassador's quarters and uh, pulls a phaser on him, but Carlos opens up and uh, kaleidoscopes him, and he goes mad before he can shoot it. Well, he did it wrong. See, Carlos is supposed to stand still for the CGI phaser effect, but he was actually the one standing still for the CGI phaser effect, so that's why What's-His-Name got to him first. Yep. This is an easy mistake to make mm-hmm. if it's your first time on the show. It's confusing. Someone describes it to you. You think you've got it. You go in there. You stand still. You get kaleidoscoped. Uh, he, uh, lurches through the corridor and into a, a turbo lift as, uh, as Dr. Jones shows up belatedly to check on the ambassador. And, uh, she's not wearing the special visor, mm. but she doesn't get affected. I wonder what that could mean. Yeah. 
Uh, she calls Kirk and the crew down there. Kirk gets on the horn and tells everyone, everyone look out for Larry. He's insane. Uh, by this point, he's already fighting Scotty in engineering, and uh, it's real Batman-style cinematography for some <laughs> yeah. reason. A lot of over-the-shoulder fisheye lens of uh, fights in this episode. It's like they went, he went mad, so let's like make the camera go mad. I think that's exactly what It'll it was. It'll be a real experience. Uh, anyway, he takes control of the ship. The ship rockets up past warp nine as he rants on the intercom. Uh, Kirk and security get there and subdue him, but it's too late. Enterprise has left the whole galaxy. It usually only takes them a minute to do it. I mean, they've broken the galactic <laughs> barrier before, and each time it took 40 seconds. So, Like, just don't go to warp nine. Yeah, it seems like it's too fast. Don't do it. I don't know how the scales work. Like, I know the TOS warp scale is different from TNG, but warp nine and TOS is some ungodly speed that you shouldn't go oh, to. Oh, yeah. It goes like this. Warp eight, Scotty looks real nervous. <laughs> warp nine, you leave the whole galaxy. That's it. Yep, warp stay. Warp 14 and a half, you go back in time. <laughs> That's right. Try to stay under nine if you can. You really don't want to hit nine. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Larry shouts at everyone not to love her, and then he collapses dead. <sighs> now Enterprise is in trouble. They're adrift, adrift in a weird cloud outside of the galaxy. Spock can't find any reference points to plot a return course. At this point, Kirk remembers what they're trying to do with the Medusans. So he's like, well, I guess it's time for you to mind meld with the uh, Kolos, Spock. Hmm. And see if he can navigate his way back. But uh, they look around at each other, and they all know Dr. Jones ain't having it. Well, she has been crazy for a while, so... So, uh, they decide to keep her busy. Kirk and Spock literally exchange a look, and sure enough, Kirk takes her on a date. That look says the same thing that Troy said to Riker in the Laser Room episode. (laughs) Which is, I need you to go fuck this person for me. Yeah, essentially that's (laughs) what it is. Um... So he takes her to the ship's greenhouse or whatever, pulls a thorn out of her paw, talks about love, comes on real strong, mm. steps in it pretty bad when he calls Kolos ugly. Yeah, she don't like that. Uh, anyway, it's not really working, and it also doesn't matter because she's a telepath and she fucking senses it as soon as Spock gets close to uh, Kolos. Mm-hmm. And I guess Kirk decides not to lay her out or whatever because he just follows her back. We know to, he will judo chop a lady, so... I don't know why it he must holds have been off. on his mind, right? He must have thought about it. Maybe they had agreed beforehand he wouldn't use violence. Anyway, at this point, McCoy lets slip that she's blind. Yeah. And that's why, even if she joined with Colo, she couldn't pilot the ship. She couldn't see the damn instruments, not even with her sensor net dress. Mm. Uh, so no one can convince her to let Spock link up with this dude. So Kirk says, well, look, go talk to Kolos about it. And I don't know what happens in there, but she does scream once before she comes out and tells him she has no choice. Yeah. So either she thought it was more soundproof or she didn't care, but she could not keep it together. Nope. So uh, they put up a cubicle in the bridge. They stick Kolos behind it and Spock mind melts with him. Yeah. Then he comes out with a real shit-eating grin, starts talking about how he knows them all, tells Uhura her name means freedom, which she must know. (laughs) That's for our benefit. She's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I I know. Uh, Sulu turns the helm over, Spock takes the ship back into the galaxy, gets real maudlin about the loneliness of human existence. Mm. Uh, And at this point, Kirk's like, all right, enough of this. 
go stop being mind melded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes back behind the partition, and at the last moment, Whoops. Sulu realizes, oh no, he didn't put the visor back on. Yeah. <clears throat> he gets this green light full in the face, starts howling, fights everyone on the bridge again, Batman style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirk stuns him. In sick bay, Dr. Jones tries a mind meld to restore his sanity. But Kirk is like, he operates on a hunch that she's maybe not putting in her best effort. Yeah. He goes in. She's not wearing her sensor dress for some reason. He he accuses her of wanting Spock to die. He throws her up against... He gives us some shat acting and throws her against the wall. And he accuses her specifically of being jealous that Spock was able to see Kolos. Like, it turns out that her jealousy is not professional. It's about her blindness. Well, he certainly says that. And he tells her, you can lie to yourself, but you can't lie to Kolos. <laughs> then he steps That's back That's something out. I said. I've said it. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times, dude. <laughs> you can lie to yourself, practically, but you can't lie to Kolos. If, mo- if your new motto wasn't the thing about as we believe, so shall you do, <laughs> that could be your new your new motto also. Yeah. Um, Kirk steps back out into the corridor and he tells McCoy, like, I don't know, man. I think I laid it on too thick. <laughs> I think she might just kill Spock and it's going to be my fault. Uh, I like that's his best effort, by the way. He yells at her a bit, then he goes out and he goes, mm, I think he's I think she's gonna kill him. <laughs> I think I did. I don't think I got I don't think I nailed this one. Like, my we, read on her has been off all day and I don't think I got this. Like if that's what you think is gonna happen, you should probably take her out of that room. Like, what's yeah. going on? Anyway, she goes back in for one more attempt and they mind fight or something. It's not clear what happens, but Spock comes back out and he's fine. It works the way Tuvok got Neelix to fly that carriage. Kirk got her to do the mind melt good. So, yep. In the transporter room, Miranda thanks Kirk for helping her to see the truth, buries the hatchet with Spock and beams the fuck out. There you go. What's this episode about? All right, stay with me on this. I mean, it's like driving in a car with a lit cigarette. It's a wild toad's ride for everyone. But what was it about? (laughs) Sometimes we think we know people when we're really just filling up their image with our own assumptions about them. Nobody understood Miranda the whole time. They thought she was one thing. And then later they thought she was another thing. But they were wrong both times. She thought she understood Spock but she was putting her own weird, strange cares onto him. Uh, to an insane degree. Yeah. Well, it's I didn't. Star I didn't Trek. mention it, but he puts on his nice necklace to come to dinner. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, uh, so you huh. put that on make, just to sh- sh- look stick bad. it in my face, how good you are at mind melding? <laughs> yeah, it's wild. That's why you wear your itic, which I, since I know its name, I must know means infinite diversity and infinite combinations. <laughs> That's right. It's yes, she is crazy because it is a Star Trek episode. She is a you know what they think about um, well everybody, all professional people, diplomats and scientists and people of various walks of life. They're all monsters. Yep. yep. Um, I, okay, so this this take that I'm proposing is actually fine because it does try to teach people not to assume things about everyone else and to get to know them instead. It definitely does not need to be a sci-fi show. Um. But that's fine. It was a five. Well, I think you're giving them too much credit. How dare you? I think that they accidentally hit that take. Okay. And the take that they were specifically attempting to give is beauty has no correlation to goodness. Okay. These horny idiots 
yeah. rave about how beautiful Dr. Jones is, but she's a real pill. <laughs> Meanwhile, this Medusin, who is so ugly, he'll make you literally insane. Yeah. He doesn't turn out to be a bad guy. He's a little unprofessional. Yeah, I was worried for a second that he wasn't going to give Spock back like every other alien that's gone into a human or whatever. Right. I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing this again, are we? Because he's like, oh, I got to go back so soon. But then he's like, yeah, okay. And then so I was like, then I was like, wait, did he forget the visor on purpose to be a dick? But it's like, nah, it's just like an honest mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a whoopsie. He's just like, oh, why would I need that? Yeah, I don't need this. Um, why would I need that thing? Uh, so, you know, this is, um, it's a, fi- it's a fine take. I'm giving it four points. The problem is even in the sixties, there were already about 15 aphorisms that expressed the exact sentiment. I that, remember them. Yeah. Beauty's only skin deep. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, there he even go. says, show me a girl and a girl that's fine. And I'll pick the one with true love every time. <laughs> so. I like that he it's maybe not the best song. I like that he distinguishes girl and girl that's fine. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a legalist for sure. <laughs> a white horse is not a horse. That's right. Exactly. That's my motto. <laughs> Hold on, let me write something down. I know I've said that at least five or six times on this show. I got to write a bunch of stuff down. I've been forgetting. Uh, and Ben uh, Ben's working in my line here. He gives it a five, and his take is uh, beauty is subjective, but jealousy is always ugly. Also, maybe it's something like comparing inner and outer beauty. Sure. That's definitely... And also the show is called Is There In Truth No Beauty? And she rants and raves about how... uh, What do they know about... Why do they keep saying he's ugly? What do they know about it? Or whatever. That's a good point. She does at one point say... Hold on. Let's just drain all my quick hitters. (laughs) Sorry. She does does at one point point say, say, Ugly, but what is ugly? Ugly and ugly. What is ugly? That's what she says. She says, who's to say if Kolos is too ugly to bear or too beautiful to bear? Yeah. That's right. She's yeah. not wrong. Uh, Ben's a three on execution. Okay. Uh, what crazy shit is supposed to be happening to the Enterprise when it goes past warp nine? Kirk decides to distract her with his dick. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, the blindness is sort of pointless. What was that scream about? Did Kolos slash Spock just fly them exactly straight ahead well, to save them? That's what I was thinking. Like, you know, you just go back straight. I mean, you went one way, just go back that same way. But Spock was it like... It like you could just turn around. Spock's like, no, nah, though, it got real twisty. We don't know. Like, couldn't you just turn around, go in that direction for a while, and see S- if you can pick up any stars you recognize? Yeah, maybe see how it's going. I mean, it yeah, only took 30 seconds to do the whole trip. Like, Yeah, I don't know, you'd, whatever. You'd find out. Uh, why did Spock put on the glasses when he beams them out again? Well, he's not going to get fucked up twice. He's taking precautions. I don't know, man. Listen, they put it on for transport, both he and uh, Dr. Jones, and they never did explain why, because they didn't transport him with the box open, but, like, I don't know. What if it falls? Just precautions, yeah. What if it just pops open? I think that's what it was. What if something goes wrong, and just like when they were uh, trying to beam the flu kids aboard, oh. they beam the box in first? So for 10 seconds. Yeah, that could be bad. I don't know. It's going to be a bad scene, that's all. Uh... Also, he says the whole time they call the Medusan ugly, which is fucking rude, as well as a little weird, because it just seems like pretty colors. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't be using the word ugly. Maybe they should use, They should just say his form can't be comprehended. It's, it's damaging something. to the human mind in some way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. 
Well, what did you think about execution? It's you, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it is. Um, uh, okay, yeah, sure. Okay, so first of all, cinematography wild in this episode. Yeah, they went for something. And then at some point they cut in, and mind you, this is the remaster where they've had a chance to fix this. After Sulu gives Spock the helm, mm-hmm. uh, there's a shot from behind him that shows Sulu at the helm still. <laughs> you know, I thought I saw that, and then I was like, it's I don't like know. just a fucking, they just cut a clip in from elsewhere or whatever. Seems like they could have fixed that in the remaster, but that's okay. I saw that, and I was like, I don't know, I must not have been paying attention. <laughs> Again, more fisheye than a bust-a-bust video here. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jones has two character traits, but only one at a time. For the first half, she's beautiful, and for the second half, she's blind. Yes. Like they stop calling her beautiful as soon as they find uh, out she's blind. Well, again, a blind lady cannot be a beautiful lady. Yeah. It's the same thing as a girl and a girl that's fine. And uh, I'll just and just like you pointed out, she's hugely jealous and real unprofessional, just the same way they think of everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a medium bad episode by season three standards. I gave it four out of ten. <clears throat> I actually liked all the camera work because it meant they were going for something. Oh, yeah. It, it made it seem like they were like, they were playing off the madness. And they're like, well, let's just do something with the camera then. Like, why not? It's all going to be stuntmen bop, bopping, bopping each other in the face with pipes and shit. Who gives a shit? It's just like Dutch angles and super highlighted eyes on Mirror Kirk or whatever. Oh, yeah. Or when she um, when she gets a telepathic sense in her quarters and she looks up and then she gets all the stage lighting on her face. Right. <clears throat> <clears throat> and you can hear the big cans turn on. Right. Like she looks up and you hear... that's right and then a light comes on her face (laughs) like oh did we catch that no no i think it was fine i think we didn't pick that up uh i'm not gonna lie the blindness reveal was actually pretty well handled if you don't remember that it happened or if you don't know what's gonna happen as long as you don't ask too many questions about how she can stay with the medusans so I originally remembered she was blind, but somehow forgot during the episode. <laughs> and then when What's-His-Name right. went, you can't because you're blind. I went, oh yeah, shit, she's blind. <laughs> Although the doctor bringing it up because she can't pilot the ship is kind of dumb because they aren't doing anything but some press and some dumb buttons. Like, she could just memorize that. Um, it doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense because... Well, so it makes a little bit of sense because they're... Whatever's happening out there in space is very distorting, and they hope that the Medusan can sort of work around it or see through it in some way. Right. So it, like, I think they mean for it to use to to be relying on the actual senses and not just knowledge of how um, to fly a ship. Right. Uh, but it 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 kind of there's a point where she says she knows she's standing 1.4 meters from the door, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, is there like a Geordie thing going on here where she's getting more data from her sensor net than everyone else? And if so, why couldn't they just beam the information from the ship's instruments right into her or whatever? I don't yeah. know. I mean, Geordie can fly, and we've seen what he sees. It's nothing. It's garbage. It's a bunch sure. of fucking garbage. I ask myself all the time how he's able to do any of the things he does. Again, we asked a few episodes again. Headaches all the time. We asked a few episodes ago how he could read because it's not clear. <laughs> I don't understand how it works. <laughs> um, and although the Medusans definitely wanted to chill in Spock's body, and they did a real whoopsie when they forgot the eye mask, they weren't bad guys. So that was kind of nice to see. Like they just helped the ship get turned back around, and they turned Spock over without fighting too much about it. Um, yeah, definitely. If the episode, if there'd been ten more minutes left in the episode. I would have known for sure that that was going to happen. Yeah. 
my main note for the episode is just can we please cool it on all the misogyny? I know the answer to that one. I'm just <laughs> no chance. I just literally no chance. It's just it was so uncomfortable watching this is him and McCoy. 60 and it's the worst one in a long time. He and McCoy were like in a contest, see who was gonna get to rape her. Basically, it was wild in that dinner. Um, but I liked generally. I liked a lot of things about it. I gave it a six. Okay. Listen, last week we watched And the Children Shall Lead. <laughs> God, that was I so bad. <laughs> uh, world building. Tell me about it. Yeah, first uh, Ben gave it a two. Uh, it's easy to get the boundary of the galaxy uh, at warp 9.5, I guess. Yes, again, we've seen them do this a couple of times. Uh, he thinks maybe they've gotten to Q space because of they. Well, so they did something special because he does say that when they hit warp nine point five, they entered a space time continuum. Uh-huh. I don't know what that was supposed to mean. Nope, no one do does. They not have the word wormhole because I think that's probably what they meant. I bet they wish they had wormhole. They could have had a cool belay that phaser order moment. They had to save that for mm-hmm. the movies. Uh, weird exterior shot of the small ship that brought the ambassador. The uh, Marvik asshole was one of the designers of the Enterprise. Uh, Earth Greek mythology imprinted across the galaxy. Uh, the Vulcan Idic symbol. He doesn't know how much that's appeared. It was a two for Ben. Uh, this is the first time it appeared. Do you want a little behind the scenes? Sure. Uh, Gene Roddenberry insisted that this thing appear in this episode and be talked about by name a bunch of times oh, it's because important he to wanted him. to sell them. Oh, well, that makes sense. I wonder if he sold even one. He was already looking for a new hustle. Because he knew this show was coming to an end. For sure. Just like he pitched Assignment Earth at the end of the last season. That show made it to pilot, but I don't think any further. He was making sure that Gene was going to be okay. And uh, apparently Shatner and Nimoy had to talk him down to the amount of idic that's in this episode. Because it used to be more. God, that's... Well, he is the greatest villain of Star Trek. We know it. We already know. So that makes sense. Uh, the Medusans are blinding or maddening to look at, but they have the most sublime thoughts in the galaxy. <laughs> yep. Um, but Vulcans, I guess, can just straight wear a visor to protect themselves. Spock's only half human, though, so shouldn't they err on the side of caution? Like, uh, he can just always do whatever a Vulcan can do. It's really weird, because they talk about it, too. Like, Kirk's like, are you sure that's enough? And he's like, nah, I think I got it. It's like, mm, mm. I don't know. It seems like what's going to happen is terrible madness and death. So maybe play I mean, it safe. He broke Gorgon's fear last week just by focusing up. I so get maybe. No, I get it. I do get it. But I'm saying if you have the time to take precautions, maybe take the precautions. Maybe yeah, I mean, Kirk, put Kirk up doesn't the... say to him, hey, the, the spores didn't work. Remember when the spores got you? <laughs> yeah, remember that, you fucking cocky motherfucker. Why not just put up the cubicle in the transporter room? I had to hit you with an engineering pipe of some kind. <laughs> I had to beat the fucking spores out of you. Uh, let's see. Uh, the whole crew is on clearance protocol to avoid this Medusin. Um, what kind of telepath is this lady? Is she just a human telepath? Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, she was born on Earth. It made her crazy to live among humans because she can't shut it off. She, she f- had to go to Vulcan to learn mental discipline. Is this based on the ESP ratings from the pilot? Yeah, tel- human telepathy definitely exists by the time of uh, TOS. But then it doesn't anymore. It hasn't really come up yet in Enterprise, though, has it? It hasn't come up in Enterprise, TNG, and DS9, or Voyager. <laughs> yeah. Just TOS. 
That is true. Where are the human telepaths in all of the later series? It's weird. Um, maybe. Maybe Bester got them. Oh, well, maybe the shadows killed them all because or maybe the, the mind walkers hurt the machine. Yeah. It says so in the book of Jaquan. Um, all the stuff about leaving and re-entering the galactic barrier, uh, Medusa and mind link stuff. Pending some discussion about this telepathy I wrote, I guess it's a three, but if it's co- continuity with human telepathy, I guess I'll bump it to a four. Uh, Matthew, I also gave it a four. Okay. Warp 9.5 can cause you to enter a space-time continuum. Obviously. Uh, that's the but that's a different color light that's a purple light this is an episode that shows uh humans in particular and i guess the federation in general establishing friendly relations with a truly different form of life yeah like this is ambassador colos the weird colors that make you crazy (laughs) that's pretty good imagine how long it must have taken for them to like explain the idea of an ambassador to people so different where yeah, no shit. Where was the episode of Darmok where one of these Medusans, like, brought a captain down to fight a weird alien together? <laughs> yeah, let's watch that episode. Uh, sensor net dresses, <laughs> return of the anti-grav lift, uh, space outside of the galaxy is weird and hostile, uh, and also powerful human telepaths seeking help on Vulcan. Yeah. Yeah, there was stuff. They, they did some stuff. <clears throat> Again, if I was more convinced, it would be long, long-lasting implications. That's the real problem with world building: is like none of them get high scores because all the progress seems so incremental. Yeah, there's ne- there are very few things where you're like, "Well, that's fucking." I mean, every once in a while, a, a radical idea is introduced, and then only I seem to give it a good score. Yes, because I hate the radical idea, and I think it makes the universe worse. Listen, this universe is magic. But I feel like it was only magic when the Traveler was there or in that part of space. Also, uh, good and evil are real things, and there's a one good universe and one evil universe. Also, there's only one god. It's a universal constant. And also, right. there are two genders, universal constant. Um, <clears throat> world building. Characterization. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> Ben's a three. Okay. Uh, he asks whether Scotty's black and white tartan is an actual one yeah so that's homework for uh for body body look at the look at the tartan on this fucking kilt that scotty wears in the episode is there in truth no beauty if you're watching along you will have seen it what is this because it ain't Uh, it ain't mcdougall that's for sure that's 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 one of our that's our clan our great great grandfather Yes. Great great grandfather? One right? of them. Some of the greats. Um, yeah, dude, we ain't no fucking Ronald the Clan McDonald. We ain't none of that shit. We ain't none of that McDonald the Clan Ronald either. Fuck that. <laughs> fucking MacDougals. Forever. Forever, yeah. <laughs> Symbols the Raven. <laughs> Everybody was our fucking sigil. Eat it. Woo! Uh, I got a few. It's very Star Trek to have Kirk and Spock look at each other and wordlessly decide that the woman has to be seduced. (laughs) I mean, that felt like... um, If Spock had gone a little bit harder, if Nimoy had gone a little harder on like the eyebrow raise or something, I think I would have appreciated it. Yeah. In that case, it would have been okay. Um, But even though that's a sarcastic thing that I just said, I always do sort of like when it doesn't work. 
when Kirk goes to seduce someone and she is not seduced. I mean, the last time it happened was in the Black Cat episode. Yes. When she's like, oh, you're trying to seduce me. And he's like, what? No. No, I wasn't. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I guess I like that. McCoy follows some kind of personal HIPAA code. Mm. Even though the normal Starfleet routine seems to be to put everyone on blast all the time. He doesn't. He kept it to himself that she was blind for a while. Until they were in that corridor. He didn't, like, pull her aside and go, uh, are you sure about this piloting thing? Because I'm going to have to tell him. He just goes, you're goddamn blind! Now, wait a minute. I know you can do most things that a sighted person can do. <laughs> and then oh, she's blind, by the way. Kirk and Spock both give up. Oh, the what? And then Kirk somehow knows that uh, it's the little jewels on her dress. Yeah, I would, and I would not I have put get that it. together at all. Her outfits have been a little wild. Yeah. A shapeless, dark-colored dress with a weird lame over it. Yeah, I just... But she bejeweled herself. Space fashion is a real mystery. I definitely would not have put that together. <clears throat> uh, I'm sure creepy old Gene Roddenberry told her she couldn't wear a bra. <laughs> sort of the opposite of what happened just in like, the 90s. Just like George Lucas with uh, Carrie Fisher. In the, the 90s. In space. In the 90s, they kept telling him they had to wear big padded bras. So yeah. it turned around a little bit. Uh, Spock is normal old Spock here most of the time, but I, I guess some of his affection for his crewmates comes out when he's joined with Kolok. So there's something. I gave it a four. <laughs> you just call him Kolok. Yeah, what do you call him? <laughs> uh, Gorgon. Gorgon? They're all Gorgon <laughs> to me now. I'm sorry, what did you give it? Four. Okay. Um. Is his name not Kolok? What is it? I thought it was Kolos, but maybe it's Kolok. Ah, shit, it is Kolos. <laughs> Damn it. By the time I got around to writing the characterization notes, I had forgotten his name. Let me change it to Kolos. Not, not crucial. Um, Spock turned down a position with Ambassador Kolok. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why he was even up for that gig in the first place. Because there's only one goddamn Vulcan in all of Starfleet. But, like, they're in the Federation. Couldn't they ask them? No, but there was a whole other ship of them, but they're dead. Couldn't they just have asked the Vulcans to send somebody? Because, like, they're in the Federation. They should be able to do that. Um... Oh, God, Kirk, please stop molesting this lady. It is not charming. During dinner, when he just, like, he says 400 times that she's the most beautiful woman, that there couldn't be a more beautiful woman. Isn't it lucky that they get to sit next to this beautiful woman? That's really, this is why I figured the episode had to be about beauty, besides the fact that beauty is in the title, is they lay it on so fucking thick at that dinner. It's horrifying. Uh, Kirk seems pretty distraught about losing Spock, so that was nice. Uh, McCoy is just like Archer, wants everyone to know he hates Vulcans. (laughs) It is true. What is never clear is, like, why? Like, is it just old school Southern racism? He doesn't like that they don't have emotions? Because maybe you should just get over it. Right? They didn't even, like, hold back his daddy's project or anything. Uh, no, it's definitely jealousy that Kirk and Spock have such a close relationship. Ah, okay. That actually makes more sense. Um, McCoy was also all over this lady. Why is Star Trek? That's all just why. I liked the McCoy. That's not Spock. (laughs) That's Spock. That's Spock. (laughs) That was a good bit. Scotty wore his uh, dress kilt or whatever. Uh, why, did, why didn't he wear his claymore? We know he owns one. Why didn't he bring his cool armor? <laughs> he has in his quarters. Yeah, for me, um, the bad stuff with the ladies brought it down to a three for me. 
They're not being cool with the ladies. It is rough. It's it's rough. Uh, do you have some quick hitters? Uh, ben had a good one. Do you think Dr. Jones, the psychic psychologist, is the idea for Counselor Troy, like the blueprint? Sort of. She is, je- she is jealous all the time and accuses people of wearing jewelry specifically to insult her. That's something oh. that Troy does all the time. It's definitely true. Remember when she said it to Worf about his sash? Um, And Dr. Jones was pretty chocolate obsessed. <laughs> she ordered three sundaes. She went to the ice cream annex. I thought it was only in one episode. Um, the thumbnail of this episode on Netflix made me laugh so hard I almost squirted out some dew. That amazing visor. It was fucking unbelievable that that was the picture. Yeah, Spock in that fucking, like you said, the fucking junior detective's mask or whatever. Um, this lady should keep some of her thoughts to herself. If I sensed murder thoughts, I'd play it real cool. (laughs) You wouldn't announce like someone in this room is contemplating murder. If I was feeling super brave, maybe I'd quietly investigate later. But like, I definitely wouldn't shout it out. Anyway, thanks for dinner. <laughs> I would just blab it to everyone, including the murderer. <sighs> uh, this is Return of the Incels again. This guy wants to murder her because she doesn't want to fuck him, and then he tells her to stop being a psychologist and try being a woman for a change. Yep. Yuck. I mean, I guess that's another Counselor Troy parallel. That's right. Oh, there she is again. Troy's extremely vulnerable to that tactic. There's Counselor Troy. Uh, Again, check out the the stage lighting on this chick when she senses Larry attacking that Medusan. Did the Medusan guy forget the eye mask on purpose? Let's ask once and for all. Was he mad that they were making him give up Spock? I think he was definitely distracted. Uh, because he certainly wanted to stay until Kirk said, I think that's enough. And he and he, he pauses there that he says, uh, you're a wise captain. But was it? Okay, so it's definitely the kind of thing you could whoopsie, because he wouldn't necessarily remember that that's something he had to do. But are they good enough writers to make a realistic whoopsie is my question. Uh, I guess it must there's have been no evidence. There's no evidence in the show that it's anything but a whoopsie. Okay. Uh, again, Shatner pulled a Shatner on this lady and threw her around a bit, and he messed up his dialogue because of it. She's like, that's a lie, when he accuses her of wanting Spock dead, and he goes, yes it is! (laughs) All shouty and everything. (laughs) I think he either meant no it's not, or yes you do. But he says it's a lie, and he screams at her, yes it is! (laughs) And I went, oh, Shat's too deep in right now, he's too busy throwing this chick around, he forgot his line. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's all I had. Uh, the thoughts of the Medusans are most sublime. Mm. Scotty's dress killed. Jesus Christ, I get it. She's pretty. Oh, God. Uh, there is a great bemused look from Kirk when McCoy kisses her hand at the end of dinner. Ugh. He shoots Spock a, can you believe this guy? <laughs> this is why I'm, that's why he's friend number two. Yeah. Um... Larry wearing a real Wesley Crusher outfit. Yeah, I knew something was off about that guy the first time we saw him. Yeah, he shows up, then disappears from the episode for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then goes crazy, of course. Another great episode for gender relations. Mm. 
Who's to say if Kolos is too ugly to bear or too beautiful to bear? (laughs) Oh, there's another, yes, of course, it's the only reasonable explanation in here, where when it turns out that she's blind, Kirk is like, I get it. (laughs) That's right. That makes, it all makes sense now. You're blind and you have a good dress. (laughs) Uh, She says, pity, which I hate. (laughs) She's fucking sick of pity, I guess. Yep. Uh, when Spock says of Uhura, she walks in beauty like the night. Is that racist? I mean, I'm sure there's a way it's racist. Okay, just one. It was probably written in a racist way. I'm not. I don't. I'm not okay. from that era. I cannot recall. There's a. <laughs> when Spock goes back in without his fucking thing, uh, Kirk steps out of a shadow on the bridge. He steps from shadow into light. But he's just stepping down from his chair. Yep. And it's like, how, what's the in-universe explanation for that dramatic lighting? Is all the lighting fourth wall stuff? I'm confused about the lighting on the show. You know, this show got off to such a good start on this kind of stuff in in the, uh, shit, which one is the actual one? The menagerie or the cage? The actual one was the cage. Then in the menagerie, mm-hmm. where they're like, this can't be footage from the <laughs> Yeah, bridge. exactly. This is not... The only time in TV history that was explained. This is shot like a TV show. Well, that's what because the aliens... <laughs> and Spock's like, hold, hold on to your shit. These aliens are crazy. <laughs> they got all this technology. It allows them to view it just like they're here on the bridge with us. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> anyway, they've stopped hanging a lampshade on at this point. Just spotlights everywhere. Yeah. Was Dr. Jones upset about the Idic because she thought diversity was a stab at her blindness? Mm. Like Spock was calling her an affirmative action hire? Oh. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Did they have I space affirmative action? Any reason why she could say at that dinner, I see you wore your Idic to insult me. I don't know either. <laughs> and I don't think Spock knew. <laughs> he played it cool, though. He was like, yeah, uh, uh, no, no, as so, so shall you do. <laughs> I, I wore to honor you. <laughs> uh, I gave best actor to is he kissing her hand, Kirk, and worst actor to if Spock dies, will I be to blame, Kirk? Mm. Uh, uh, I, I do have one other comment. Uh, a, yeah, come at a, me. A pretty face you may not possess, but what I like about you is your tenderness. There you go. Uh, also, never trust a big button a smile. That's right. That girl's that girl's poison. <laughs> what else? What else? What else did we watch? Uh, uh, next in the order is the Next Generation. This week we watched Deja Q. Uh, uh. It's a fucking good. Love that theme I am song. legitimately embarrassed how long it took me to realize that that is a pun on Deja Vu. <laughs> what did you think was happening? I thought it was just a stupid name. Oh, I mean, that's just true. A dumb fucking name. It's true. It is very dumb. <laughs> Not as long as... Uh... Well, I don't know. I'm still not sure what Q-Who means. No, oh, it's honestly. supposed to be you-who, but I don't know why. But I, why you-who? I don't know. Right? It's not clear. All right, you thought the other one was brief? Check this one out. Enterprise is in orbit of Briel 4, trying to help them keep their moon from falling out of orbit and crashing into the planet. 
As they're attempting to solve that mystery, Q shows up, explaining he was kicked out of the continuum and he's just a regular old human now. They spend some time trying to figure out what his real scheme is, and Picard assigns Data to be his handler while he's here. They keep getting their rescue mission interrupted, as an energy species called the Calamarane keeps showing up trying to kill Q or kidnap him or something. Because he's been fucking with him for a long time, and now he's fair game. At one point, Data is severely damaged trying to stop them. Eventually, Q decides to sacrifice himself by leaving Enterprise in a shuttle so that the Calamarine can get to him and not harm Enterprise. This selfless act causes another Q to show up and give him his powers back. Uh, he comes back to thank the Enterprise crew and even stops the moon from falling out of orbit before he goes. The end. What was this yeah, big that's concise. bad boy about? Uh, it's a little bit cooked, but stick with me. Okay. We value self-sacrifice because it is against human nature, not because it's part of it. Okay. It's a little hard to crystallize, but basically this show is a meditation on humanity hmm. in which we it eventually becomes clear that it data's inhumanity makes him makes it easy for him to be what we would all like to be. Hmm. Like, every time the Calamarine attack, he rushes in to defend Q without hesitation. Meanwhile, you got people like Jordy and Riker being like, fuck this guy. For sure. They also, can have him. Yes, that is true. They they are all sick of Q. He's also, and, and again, as, uh, this is not the first time it's happened, like, he he really got into it with uh, Rogadanar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the first and maybe only one who's willing to engage with Q non-ironically. Yes. Uh, and when Q says that humans are always rushing to forgive offenses, it's really only Data who actually embodies that. Yeah, I mean, Picard... Picard goes through the motions in this episode. But it really feels like... It definitely feels like he, he hopes he doesn't succeed. Yes. Uh, so... In that sense, it's kind of a pure Star Trek episode because it's like, on the one hand, it's a god learning what it's like to be a man, but it's with the help of, help of an android who's ironically better at it than any of us. So I guess my question my is... My problem with it is it doesn't really help us understand how we can be better as people. Well, sacrifice your life for an asshole, obviously. Right. Just go lay in traffic so some asshole can live. <laughs> you know how it works. I do. Don't be dumb. You get it. I do. Um, I guess my only question is, are the characters aware of this take that it is not in their human nature to do it? Because every time Data does it, they talk about his great humanity. And when Q does it in the end, they talk about how he has a shred of humanity. So is it just that they don't realize yes, they're not up to it? it's aspirational for them. Like it, it's, it, they admire it because it's hard. Okay. But yeah, I don't know that that's in anyone's mind necessarily. Yeah, maybe they know that they're not up to it. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a seven. Oh, okay. That's impressive. I mean, it's like pure. It's like a pure Star Trek idea. Uh, and the idea is not the problem with the episode. No, there are some problems with the episode. This is not, not a faultless episode. Uh, ben went with Q's little arc and he said no one is past redemption. And he says it worked for Darth Vader. He gave it a four. So just because Q in the end does his selfless thing. And then even Q the asshole, we, the known asshole, is able to do something nice. When Q gets his powers back, 
he does bluster as though he has not been redeemed, as though yeah. he is unredeemed. Uh, I don't know whether that's meant to be true or not, or it's just Q. I had questions about it. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good question. I what, have it in characterization. He doesn't torment the Calamarine right there in the shuttle, but what does he do to them? For sure, for sure, if Corbin Burnson... made them very small and he blew them away. What <laughs> for sure did happen? If Corbin Burnson doesn't pop his head back through the shuttle, he would have tormented them right there. Yep. Um, I had... Humanity is, at its core, the idea of it, really about being selfless. So we were kind of around the same spot, but we came out on different ends of it. I was really trying to work in data. Uh, lots of dialogue evidence is what I was talking about earlier when I asked you the question. Data versus Q and what is what Q does for them in the end, and everyone talks about the humanity of it or whatever. For me, it's fine. It's pretty basic sci-fi. I had it as a five. Um... Execution. This crew gave at most a 45% effort to stop this moon. Yeah, that is true. They were extremely distracted the whole time. If I had any idea what was happening on this ship and I was those little monsters down on the planet, I would be pissed as hell. These guys were like, uh, these were the, the fucking Nemoidians from the, <laughs> from the Phantom Menace, but like, 10 years earlier and with less budget. I mean, I'm putting it in execution and not quick hitters because of the over-jocularity of this episode. They set up these huge stakes where this fucking moon's gonna fall onto this planet and kill everybody. Yep. And then the episode is just a lot of... a lot of jokes. A lot of cute... Yeah. a lot of Delancey. So much Delancey in this episode. Just a well, lot. You know, Matt, we've already learned... That the Prime Directive is there to protect us. Them. Not the least of which is to protect us. <laughs> uh, and we will later see just a super egregious example of this. Mm -hmm. It's possible that they don't care too much about what's going Like, yeah, they'll try and help. Yeah, I just... But, you know... To me, the tone of the A plot, and, A plot and B plot were so mixed up. Like, I didn't understand what episode I was watching. I don't disagree. Um, And again, a lot of Delancey. Too much Delancey in this episode. Sorry, I know it's a Q episode, but just less, please. Um, There were some other interesting performances, though. Uh, I gave it a four overall. Uh, Ben is a four. Okay. He enjoyed the repartee on the bridge, including Worf's die and the super great Q response. Eat any good books lately? Yeah. Uh, good camera work on uh, the shot of Q on the ground with Guinan lording over him. Uh, he says, having watched all the TNGs to this point, it doesn't seem so far fetched that Q found uh, the Federation to be forgiving and tolerant among the species he's fucked with. Mm -hmm. He found Corbin Burnson's portrayal annoying. Who didn't? Uh, groveling Q isn't any better than normal arrogant Q. Yeah, the second Q that shows up is played by Corbin Burnson, and this is peak, like, Major League era Corbin Burnson. And I don't think he even knew exactly. I think they went, the Q are, like, mischievous. And he went, I got it. I'm <laughs> cool. I'll just do my Jack Nicholson impersonation. <laughs> Hope you all enjoy. He really fucking chewed it up, but I think they were so excited to get such an A-lister as Corbin Burnson on the show that they just let him go with it. 
Uh, he was big shit at this time on LA, LA Law yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before he just became the dad on Psych. That's right. That's how uh, Marjan like, Honestly, him. maybe 10 years later than this. Yeah. Again, this he is like... bald dad on Psych. This is Major League, Major League 2, Corbin Burns in this era. So, uh, I am also a four. Okay. So, first of all, just like you said, there's a lot of Delancey being irritated in this one. So much. And I get that that's in character, but it makes it a tough watch. Yeah. Uh, one problem with this show, Q's traditional foil and spokesman for humanity is Picard, and Picard does not run this show. No, kind of like when the fucking Ferengi showed up to those negotiations. He, he lays back in the it cup, off for sure. Let's Data take care of most of this one. He's learning to delegate, and he is crushing it. I guess that's true. <laughs> um, Guinan is usually strong. But in this episode, she gives a dialogue monster speech mm. in which she says fear or frightening about 20 times. Mm-hmm. And then walks back out of the episode. Doesn't tell us anything about Q. Doesn't help us relate in any way. She's just there to stab him with a fork. And, and then say how the mighty have fallen. Um, yeah. I, um, I had just, as she walked into the scene, I had just told Marjan about how surprised we were how much we were enjoying Guinan and how much better the performance seemed than when we were kids and everything and then I regretted it this is not it (laughs) I regretted it because I watched that scene I wasn't very good this isn't the one (laughs) um it's also kind of a bummer that the Calamar Rain are faceless and silent Mm. like the weird asteroid they're just kind of a physical force to be dealt with yeah so they can't Picard can't get on the horn and talk to them Right? No, I think he tries and they don't get any response or something. Can't can't negotiate to even put a hold on whatever Q's fate is going to end up being so they can fix this fucking moon. Yeah, the only characteristic they have is that they are fucking not going to quit. Yep. They take every opportunity to get at Q. And then at the end, Q's big gift to Data is a laugh and it's hateful. Spiner's big belly laugh <sighs> is super hateful. Definitely a lot of people. Throws himself way back in his chair, clutches his chest. It's very bad. Definitely a lot of people walking around on set going, you know who needs more lines? You know who's the best talented, most talented actor here? It's fucking Brent Spiner. Does he have a friend who wants to write a movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't good. So I gave it a four. Uh, What about world building? Ben had it as a three. Yeah. Data must have some organic components since Dr. Crusher's treating him alongside Jordy in sick bay. I always just assumed she was interested. And I think she's learned about cybernetics and Jordy needs a hand sometimes. I, I really think that's it. Uh, yeah, it is true. However, Data definitely does have some organic components. Uh, I'll give it a three. We have the Calamarine, uh... So what ended up happening to this moon was that a black hole passed through mm. at right angles to the system. And that is still puzzling to this crew. So there's some still pretty basic, easy to explain astronomical phenomenon. Yeah. Or maybe like phenomena. if they had the, months to study it or something, they might've figured right. it out, but they're just kind of working off the cuff trying to stop this thing or something. Ordinarily they'll see a piece of a cosmic string or something and be like, I got it. We know about cosmic the, strings. But here's one where they're a little puzzled by a thing. Yeah. 
Uh, Data eats some kind of slop to lubricate his biofunctions. Mm-hmm. He tells Q. So he does have some organic components, or else none of that makes sense. I didn't know if biofunctions meant organic components, or if that was the way he was describing how his systems work. I, mean, I don't he know. He describes it as eating nutrients is the thing. Yeah. Well, so who knows what that's about. Soon, what did you do? What's going on? What kind of monster creature did you make? Uh, And then this is the first appearance of another Q, and also the first suggestion that the Q continuum is, like, organized. Like, someone can be kicked out of it, and also Q2 is joking about not having to, wanting to have to go back and explain. Yeah. That Q's last act was a selfless one. It's like when they're in human form, they have all the same dumb human excuses. Kind of. Because, I mean, they would mentioned some stuff about the continuum before, like, uh, about how worried the continuum was or how interested they were in humans or whatever. Well, and again, the, uh, there is evidence in this episode to suggest that humans are pretty close in terms of the evolutionary and power ladder to the Q continuum. Mm-hmm. This is when they discover the threat of the Calamarain, Q and Riker or Picard and Riker get real smug i've figured it out expressions and picard announces that q is q chose to come here because he wanted enterprise to protect him yeah and definitely the suggestion is that not only are humans more forgiving than than most but also they're powerful enough to keep q safe yeah he needs someone who can protect him from these fucking weird light guys or whoever else yeah presumably these are not the only dudes who are mad at him they were just they just heard about it That's and what got was, there real quick. I have notes about that. <laughs> okay. Like, how did they know? They must have had this shit on lockdown because as soon as he is mortal, they are there. In, in The first time he appeared to the Calamarine, he said something cryptic about knowing Calamarine as you would, would you allow them to put a tracker on you? And the second time he showed up, they, should, they straight up shot him with a GPS or something. <laughs> that's right. Because unlike in this one, someone was looking at the logs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I'm three. Okay. Uh, I was a four. Uh, Brielle four. They call on every starship in the sector to come and add their tractor beam power, like a big old fucking Megazord. No one shows up, though. That's true. Literally. Also, they knew they didn't have enough time for anyone else to get there. Yeah, I don't even think the calls are returned. I think everyone's just like, eh, why bother? Um... Uh, the Continuum will straight boot you if you suck too hard. Markofi and Sea Lizards. I hate Q's onesie and boots so much. It's not great. It's a horrible look. When he's like um, got one leg up when he's in the holding cell and you get a good look at those nasty boots and you're just like, what is this outfit? Fucking TNG civilian clothes. Q in human form somehow retained all of his knowledge and experience, even though he was some kind of super being before. So that was nice of the continuum to somehow. Dude, straight claims he has an IQ of 2005. When did he take an IQ test? Exactly. A, first of all, when did he, when did he take, did he take that one that they give him at the combine? Did he take that (laughs) Wonderlick? Did he take the Wonderlick test? How did he score on the Wonderlick? And then also, uh... (laughs) How come he has never seemed smarter than anyone else? Yeah, he gets fooled like, all the time. In this one, he diagnoses that weird moon problem pretty quickly or whatever. Yeah. But he is constantly outwitted by Picard and crew. Yeah, every episode. 
Um, also, does he know that these IQ tests are pretty random and like they've, the results vary from IQ test to IQ test? I'm just saying, there's a lot going on. Um, yeah. Guinan's mystery backstory with the Q continues that we learned about in the one where we met the Borg. Uh, it would be nice if we learned one fucking thing about it. Now, here's what I had. First, I was like, why don't they tell us more about that? And then I thought, I'm glad they didn't. Because they would they would have done it bad. They would have written something stupid. And then we'd be like, yeah, for some reason this happened. It's much better to just be like, I don't know why. It's a mystery. They're keeping it secret. I'm fine with it. Just like all of her shit with Picard, like... I know it all it all happens the, with the The things we see do not explain it in the least. Yeah. Um like it this can't be from the cave. It's what I'm saying. Like it's not What's the thing that happened in Picard's lifetime? Why did yes. he bring her aboard? Is there some kind of temporal paradox happening? What is it? Right. Um She also knows who the Calamarain are, apparently. Yep. Um they some weird energy monsters themselves. How did they know Q became mortal and where to find him? Uh, creating well, in a case of everybody gives up, they didn't really put the universal translator to work. These guys did try to talk to Enterprise. Oh, there was a buzzing sound, and they just but the computer lacked the reference to translate it or whatever, so they just gave up. I wish they wouldn't do things like oh, that. I'm mean, just saying, Hoshi would have cracked it. That's all. I wish they wouldn't do things like that. I wish they wouldn't ever dig into that. It makes me so upset. Um. Uh, a creating some kind of warp field around something to change its, quote, gravitational constants. Um, this is the in-universe explanation for the impulse engines, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, it's that they they use a low-level subspace field to reduce the mass of the ship. Uh, okay. And then the impulse engines are just like... Does Jordy say that in this episode? No, it's uh, only in the tech manuals, right? But it's uh, like... To, so it's not canon, but it is in-universe. Jordy's solution to the Calamarine attacking Q is to activate the structural integrity field. Why isn't that already active? It should be, it should be permanently active. Did he forget to turn it on again? Because he shouldn't do that. <laughs> There's like five ensigns that got pulped when the ship stopped <laughs> too, too fast recently. Um, Q indicates this other Q is equally shitty, so maybe it was just politics that got him booted. Oh, by the way, Q2 makes it seem like it might have been a unilateral decision. Oh, that's true. He at least has the unilateral authority to restore his power. But maybe the Continuum just made it his problem when he came to them to complain. I think that could be it. Uh, Station Nagala 4. For me, it was a 4. There's some stuff in there about the Q, some backstory stuff with uh, Calamarain and Q and Guinan, and uh, I don't know. I thought it added some stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, give me that characterization score. Yeah, I will say first that Ben gave it a 4. Good to see Guinan as a powerful, dangerous being, rather than just a frumpy bartender. Q can be a good guy if he's pushed to it. Data's laughing, looks like he's going to throw up. Um, here we go. Riker's plan A, this is mine now, uh, always to blow shit up. <laughs> he is It desperate. is his first and almost only line in the show. He's so desperate. Do you suppose he goes to the holodeck and plays bridge crew, but he gets to shoot all the things he wants? Uh-huh. He definitely runs way more combat simulations than anyone else on the crew, including Worf. <laughs> That's right. Because his explanation or his uh, idea for this asteroidal moon is just shoot it. 
Um, he has the TNG game, but he doesn't do any of the missions. He just has Romulan ships randomly attack. He, he, he puts on the invincibility code and destroys Ramos. Yep. Uh, why does Riker smile so much about Q when they seem to believe the moon thing is his fault? Uh, Remember when Q maybe, first shows up, they think that this moon falling out of orbit without explanation is his fault. And Riker is just like smiling like an idiot on the bridge the whole time. Uh, instant theory corner. Mm. So this is not something I thought about. Okay. Uh, he was pretty bummed out that his solution seemed dumb and data just turned around and said, no, <laughs> but if it turns out that uh, this is all Q's doing, then it, none of that mattered. That's true. Yeah. No one will even remember that that happened. Yeah. No one's going to be like, Oh God, do you remember when that asteroid was flying right? or was falling going to fall right into the planet. And Riker literally said, can we blow it into pieces? <laughs> What an idiot. <laughs> um, well, anyway, my answer to why he's smiling so much is because he's saving his shouting for Jordy when Corbin Burnson renders the shields and tractor beam worthless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he got real fucking shouty. Like, jo- like Jordy broke it somehow. Uh, he yells the whole rest of this episode. He's in a mood. Um, Riker doesn't need Q's fantasy women. He has lots of his own fantasy women. The Harp Girls. Right. He's got the Harp Minuets. I, others, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably others. Uh, why is Q so fucking happy and confident when he shows up? He's got all these quips ready and shit. Like, shouldn't he be devastated? You know, there's one throwaway line where Troy says he's terrified. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think we're supposed to be like, okay, I get it. This is all bluster. But then Troy leaves the show. <laughs> it's another one of those times where it'd be and, nice to be able to tell if he's lying. And it, we do not follow up at all yeah. on whether he's terrified or... Or whether he's lying about he's that hungry mood. and his back hurts, but like... Yeah. Um, I, but also, I guess that attitude helps explain why nobody believes him at first. That's true. And then they say, Q never really learns his lesson here, huh? Just right back to tormenting the Calamarine as soon as he has his powers. Yep. Troy is very sassy toward Q, despite being able to read his terror. Also, am I right that she's pissed at Data for defending Q in this meeting? She stares at him when she says, it appears you have an advocate, Q. Yeah, that's true. She stares Data down like, look at this fucker. Q's best friend is here, everybody. (laughs) I think Troy probably lives in perpetual fear. Of Q meeting her horny ass mom. <laughs> like what a nightmare that would be. Oh my god. Oh my god. What if he knew her? Would he try to make a baby with her? I mean, mm. he definitely would take her all over the fucking universe doing crazy shit. Yeah, that's Then Troy would be like Corbin Burnson. She'd show up in some system and they'd be like, I'm sorry, did you say Troy? <laughs> that's right. We just had an unbelievable visit. You, I mean, it was it was wild pits. Yeah, it's actually kind of lucky they both show up so many times. It's weird they never showed up the same week. Loxana and Q. It would have been a real disaster. Um, Worf always brings the great comedic timing. This time it was his comment, "Die." Which yep. We talked about earlier. What must I do to convince you? And then he says, "Die." Um, but he. He doesn't even throw it at him. No, he says it like this is a really just, good idea. He just says, die. die. <laughs> Obviously. With his arms all folded. Um, Picard is not being like, 
totally real with these fuckers on this planet. He keeps telling them that there's a hope. But then, like, the comms, will, he'll break the comms, and then Riker or whoever's standing there will go, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> Not, none of these plans are good. Like, he needs to tell these aliens to, like, start their preparations right now to get the fuck out of the blast zone and, like, hunt, get in your fucking shelters and shit. But he just keeps telling them, there is a hope that this will work. And then as soon as the comms go off, Riker goes, Jordy says these plans are garbage. <laughs> Like, absolute garbage. Hey, we ran the numbers. They're all going to die. There is uh, The numbers came back, at, they say 0%. I don't know if that's like a statistical thing where they've rounded down. I don't know. It's zero is what it says. Um, The computer, it weird, it just said capital N, lowercase a, capital N. <laughs> I'm not smart, so I don't know what that means, but I don't think that's good. Uh, When Q basically tells Picard that he's going to kill himself, Picard just gives a look like, that was awkward. And then drinks his tea. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Does not care at all. Uh, Data makes it all about himself, as always. I'm jealous, you're a human, and I'm not, and it isn't fair. <laughs> You've earned in disgrace what I've been trying to get you through my entire quest. It's like, oh, cool, it's about you. I'm glad. I thought it was about me, but I guess it's about you. It would be great if Q turned to him and said, wait a minute. Did you think you were going to actually, like, transform <laughs> a into person. a human being? <laughs> like, like what, you were going to go into a cocoon? Like, what are you talking about? Hang on a second. This hasn't been a metaphor for you? <laughs> you thought one day you'd wake up with chest hair and all that? Like, that's not how it works. Hang on, Data. What's going on in there, buddy? Although never did I feel worse for Data than in this episode about that prank they played on him when he was activated that one day and they told him he didn't have emotions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because he it's just been, keeps... He's been a real sad sack about it for 20 years now. He's just so desperate to get there. He's like, he really wants to get to that point and it's like, man, 15 years of this shit? No, it was 15 years to become Lieutenant Commander. However many years it was ago he was activated. Like, come on, bro. You had them all along. Let's do the Wizard of Oz and get out of here. That's right. Um, it was inside you all along, Data. Very decent acting by Gates McFadden when she sasses the shit out of Q in engineering. True. When she says at the end, maybe you're hungry. <laughs> and she gives him a look like, you fucking worthless piece of shit. That is her Fuck role you, bro. in this series now. <laughs> To shoot Worf a dirty look yeah. about Galorn and Core. Yeah, a lot of eyeball acting from uh, from Crusher these days. Uh, Guinan and Q, my favorite arch enemies. We'll never get the backstory on that, and I'm fine with it. They'd only write something bad. Jordy uh, gets really real with Riker and tells him Q's not worth it. Not fucking worth it. Just let this fucker die. Um... Some good and some bad in there. Uh, I ended on a four. Uh, did we already say? Uh, yeah, we did. Ben's a four. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a sweep. I'm also a four. Okay. So, Riker's in a bad mood this week. Yeah. He just shouts his way through the episode like he's had enough of space shit and he needs a few days off overseeing a research station somewhere. <laughs> or you may be right. It might just be the data showed him up in scene one. <laughs> Or maybe Data showed him I haven't seen one. Uh, Picard is suspicious the whole episode, and then arrogant, and the big decision about what to do with Q and the Calamarain is ultimately out of his hands, so Picard's unsatisfying this week. Yes, that's absolutely true. 
Worf gets some good one-liners in here. It's nice to see Jordy like do some engineering and give orders like when he used to take the con. Yeah. And um, Data plays serious in this episode, which is usually better than when he's playing funny. God, until the end. But there are definitely some some missed opportunities. I, I couldn't give it more than four. Yeah. What about some quick ones? Yeah, for sure. Can we blow it into pieces, yells Riker. <laughs> he's so excited, too. He thinks he's this got first it. first line of the episode. Remember last week when he thought he'd cracked terrorism? Uh-huh. He thinks yeah. he has cracked the case on this asteroid. I've had enough of this. Tell your boss we <laughs> want to meet with him. Maybe this all starts with one child deciding. <laughs> what, did I, what, what am I trying to say here? He's going to put the gun down? Put, put down the I think gun? I got it, guys. I think I got it. Uh, these scientists call them land quakes. Like some writer said, well, they wouldn't say earthquakes, right? They're not on earth. <laughs> That's what humans say. But then doesn't, doesn't just in universe, it just seems like a really weird universal translator choice. I hope somebody clicked the report button on that. I would have clicked report. Report. Like, hey, we just call them earth. The answer here is awkward. That's the one you'd flag. Earth also means dirt here. Yep. So. Um, but then that made me think, like, what are the politics of the universal translator? Right? Like, can Starfleet just push an update? To make it so that the universal translator only uses they, them pronouns Why instead of gendered ones. Why are you asking these third rail questions? <laughs> and what effect would that have? Anyway, just something to think about with the UT. Someone programs it. Again, someone programmed it. I think we've decided that it was the reason that Romulan analogy got fucking strung out as far as it did. That someone yeah, said, like ah, it's the Romulans. And then the universal translator translated every single thing as centurion like praetor <laughs> just like oh fuck exactly uh we can talk about this uh q seemed pretty proud when he said eat any good books lately to wharf but i still feel like wharf got the better of that exchange with the initial die i was really that was really good you can't come back from that troy should have sensed that in q and he'd been saving eat any good books lately and he kind of wasted it that's right it didn't feel organic yeah uh, now, Picard suddenly has laws to deal with omnipotent beings. Just sends Q right to the brig. That's true. Like, what was he going to charge him with? He didn't... None of this... This is all extrajudicial. Is that... Okay, so maybe he did believe he was mortal, because isn't... I sort of feel like that's the reason he didn't do anything with Kevin Uxbridge, because he knew he could just get out on a whim. Maybe yeah. he did believe Q was a human, and he's like, fuck it, now I could finally lock this fucker up. Yeah, that's not exactly there are no laws on no. the books. No, that, crime. that definitely sounded like a BS explanation when he said yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, now he's thought about it. Mm -hmm. uh, Picard calls Data to the bridge. Data gets there 24 seconds. A brig. Data gets there 24 seconds later. Well, we saw in 1100101, whatever it is. <laughs> that's when they walked nine seconds between main engineering and the bridge. That is true. and The also, countdown was going, I, we could easily measure it. I think when Picard calls Data down to chaperone his date with Walks on a Troy, it's also pretty quick. Yeah, I don't know. The turbo lifts are not only insanely fast, uh, the geography of the ship is a mystery to me. It must be twisted. The ship must have no. got twisted. <sighs> I, hate, I hate for that to be the case. <laughs> Also, if it's going to be twisted, you've got to show us it being twisted. Yeah, that's... you got to do... you got to go full twist. That's, that's the whole episode. You can't not show us. Um, 
I told you to watch Dr. Crusher in the scene where she's helping Q. Mm. Did you see why? I saw her jam him in the back and make some faces. Yeah. Um, She pulls out a hypo spray, yeah. loads it with a blue liquid as normal, and then uses it as a back massager. It vibrates and everything, I and she's just it. rubbing his back in circles I, with a hypo spray. I didn't notice it was a hypo spray. <laughs> and it's like, it's not just... Oh, I went back because I, I saw her pull it out and I saw her take the blue vial and stick it in the bottom right. as normal. And then all of a sudden just. Yeah, she's really jamming it in there a bunch. Yeah. And she's working him too hard. Right. Because she doesn't like him. Yeah. 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 Um, That was a hypo spray, though. Yeah. It goes on vibrate mode, but only if you give it the blue fluid, the blue fluid. That's what makes yeah, it is vibrate. That energy? Is that a battery? <laughs> was that a blue battery? It's the blue battery for the vibrate function. <laughs> Uh, not only is the speech Guinan gives crazy, mm. but she sounds like she just smoked a thousand cigarettes. <laughs> I don't know if she had laryngitis that week or what. Playing she on sounds the greatest way my fears feels and you enjoying every minute of or of every minute of their fear of their terror, <laughs> and you're like, oh my yep. god. We get it. You don't like him. <laughs> um, why does no one ever bite when Q says she's a weird, powerful being and not what she seems? Everyone always treats that information as if it's a real so what. Kind of like when he was so scared of that uh, phaser on stun. Like, Everything about Q just goes unremarked upon. I get that they say she's from the whatever cluster. Well, uh, they say you're from Megacron. Mega, what is Mega, it? It is Megacron or something, <laughs> something like, like Novacron. Well, well, they, well uh, they say you're, you're from, from Novacron, Novacron. and... Uh... <laughs> It's like the best Wesley acting ever. It really is. Like, he was excited to dish that dirt right back at her. <laughs> yes, that's it. They know she's from... They say she's from Novacron. They don't even know that to be a fact. Uh, with a Calamarine attack, Wrecker and Picard look at each other and immediately assume they're the most powerful people Q knows. Oh, hell yeah. They go to just full arrogant. Again, every week, it's a great time to be the Starfleet. Uh, and then later after this episode was over, uh, Data discovered that Q also made his dick enormous. <laughs> but then he just replicated a new normal-sized one. That's not how he rolls. Yeah. Yeah. That was The gift wasn't just the laugh. He doesn't need the fantasy dick. No, nah, he doesn't need a, a, a huge cartoon crank. Uh, speaking of which, I don't know if you're done, but just jump in. Ben's quick hitter. I'm so uncomfortable with seeing his little Delancey through that jumper. <laughs> it's true that on a big screen TV in HD, it was very clear that there was not a lot, not a lot of fabric in there. You didn't have a lot of layers in there. It's yeah. true. Uh, also, this is the thing that's difficult to believe. It in Memory Alpha, it says they couldn't think of a way to fake it, so John Delancey just did that shot, butt naked. Yeah, but he like, did. he he could have worn full size tidy whities given what they show on the screen. Yeah, they show like half a butt cheek. Maybe. It's like not much. So, uh, I think he just is a dirty boy. Like, it ain't a show with nudity. There's not a lot of nude butts. There's one when Picard gets interrogated, but that's not like titillating. It's supposed it's a, to be dehumanizing. Yeah, it's a scary naked butt. Yeah, it's not that kind. It's not NYPD Blue. And you don't have to There's that one where Picard's painting a naked woman. Oh, did they show naked butt in that one? 
I don't remember. Uh, they show a lot of her, but like not as much as the regular non-sexual medical scene in this week's Enterprise. Is, um, yeah. Is that the? Is that one of the ones where Data sasses Picard's painting? Uh, that's exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, no, that's uh, my quick hitters. I gave best actor to Die Wharf and worst actor to Q two. Yeah, not not surprising. <laughs> Uh, to finish Ben's quick hitters, he thought the light aliens, the Calamarine, might be related to the Move Along Home song from DS9, but no, that's Alamarine. So that's Alamarine. Unrelated. Third chap. Um, my quick hitters, plenty of asteroids and shit this week, which you mentioned before we started the project. Yeah. Just a lot going on with that. Um, this guy says they could be looking at their own Ice Age. What does he mean by their own Ice Age? It's a weird thing. Like, what famous Ice Age is he referring to? Is this guy yet another Earth history buff that they're running into out here in the cosmos? You know, from the movie Ice Age with the little squirrel man and the mammoth. Your your 21st century Ice Age film. And who plays the saber-toothed tiger? Is it Dennis Leary? That doesn't make sense. I believe a Ray Romano was in that film. Uh. Yes, you're right. (laughs) Um, Theory Corner? Picard. Wait, Matt, it'll cause massive land quakes and a tsunami. And <laughs> a tsunami. That's right. A tsunami. Land quake like land monster. Yeah. Uh, theory corner. Picard gave Worf permission to rough Q up. Doesn't he basically tell him to take Q for a walk around the block? Uh, he for sure does. But Worf is too well trained and doesn't catch on. Yeah. Just walks Worf's in Worf's not in Picard's old boys club. That's right. He thinks he's got to play this by the books, but Picard a Klingon definitely. does not rough up his prisoners. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, can you shoot somebody for making too many puns, either now or in the space <laughs> future? <laughs> There's no law for that crime. Guess <laughs> I really wanted someone to shoot him. Did you hear the way Q said robot when he was describing Data? It definitely sounded like robot. Yep. No, oh, the robot. Also, Data finds that super insulting. What are robots in Star Trek? Do they still do welding and shit? I don't Does, know. Has the replicator not made industrial robots kind of obsolete? I really don't know. But yeah, you're right. He does take offense to that. And it's one of the, it's an opportunity for him to say that he is an android, which he likes to do. That is correct. Um, can we talk about how much the job non-Guinan bartender in 10 Forward sucks? You gotta wear those outfits with the checkers and the green and that's fucking horrifying. And like people ordering sundaes all the damn time and not eating them, sometimes splattering them all over the damn place. Fucking barroom brawls and live births and hostage situations. All the weird stuff Guinan probably is and does. Also, about every fifth day, you got to move all the tables and set up for a class. Oh, there's another concert concert tonight. Android plays violin. I mean, it seems like the worst job. Why do these people do this job? I thought the future was about bettering yourself. What are you getting out of that? Hey, it's the best four string instrument players on this military ship. (laughs) And they're playing a 600-year-old piece of music. You know how the best four violin players out of every thousand are true experts, right? (laughs) Fucking ridiculous. Uh, Thank God the robot's there. O'Brien used to play the violin. Now he (laughs) he just plays the cello. It's so much better. (laughs) 
It's a lot less taxing. Final question. Did they not get their shuttle back in the end? Uh, it's unclear what happens to the shuttle or if they care. They just report that it is gone. The shuttle disappears. The Calamarain disappear. Mm-hmm. Picard's like, well, that's that. I guess we're done. <laughs> we need that shuttle. <laughs> I didn't pay for it. Wow. Later, they discover the moon's back to normal. <laughs> yeah. But definitely... Yeah, it's a good question. All right, we've spent a lot of time on these first three. Let's see what we can do on these back back two. That's right. Uh, in second place last week was Enterprise. Very rare spot for them. This week we watched North Star. <clears throat> It is cowboy times, and there's a lynching. Fun. Yeah. Uh, the victim, a skag, uh, seems like uh, whatever that is, they don't have a lot of rights. Yeah. So, also, Archer, Tupole, and Trip are all down there, and they're dressed as cowpokes. They don't show up in time to stop the lynching or anything. No. Uh, it. We never learn why they're there. Where this planet is, the expanse. How I they guess found it, but I guess they came down here to answer the fundamental question: Hey, are these really some humans? And it turns out they are. Yeah. Tipo confirms it. No one knows how they could have gotten there, but the there are four human settlements. They seem to be about two hundred and fifty years old, and there's a lone alien settlement, and it's not not that many aliens there. Yeah. So Archer sends Trip and T-Pole to see about it. They trade a gun and a harmonica for a horse. And uh, he goes to get the lay of the land with a barkeep. And then here comes the lynch mob. And the leader turns out is a deputy sheriff named Benning. Something like that. Uh-huh. Maybe Bennings. And uh, he immediately picks on another skag who was sweeping up. He's like the bar boy and starts picking on him. Archer Archer gets into it, interrupts, Sheriff comes in, everyone's suspicious about Archer because there's only four towns. Yeah, probably like, pretty rare to run into somebody new. He tells him he's from up north and he's going down south to, because uh, his uncle has a blue prong ranch or something. Yeah, something like that. So the sheriff puts a tail on him. He also tells uh, Benning to knock it off with the skag stuff for a minute, but it uh, doesn't seem like he's gonna. Tripp and T-Paul find the settlement, and it's a crashed ship. Uh, and Archer's next stop on this tour is to go to talk to the school marm who paid for the casket. Uh-huh. Only I thought she was a full-on child, because she's got a weird child face. <laughs> it's true. Um, anyway... Once she figures out that he's friendly about the Skags, she takes him to their settlement in the night because she teaches them there at night. It's illegal to teach Skagarin children. Mm-hmm. That's what these guys are called. Uh, he finds T-Paul and Trip there. She's found some data modules from the crashed ship, so he sends them back up to Enterprise to see if they can figure out what's going on. Right. Um, but... Sure enough, uh, Deputy What's-His-Name has been tailing Archer because uh, after math class, 
just as they're starting to tell Archer, just as she has the kids start to tell Archer the story of how they ended up here. Mm -hmm. And it seems that they brought the humans here to be slaves and there was a revolt. Uh, Here comes the deputy sheriff and they both get hauled into jail. Yeah. So she finishes telling him about this in jail. There was a revolt. They put some real punitive laws in place to make sure it would never happen again. And Archer gets called in to talk to the sheriff. Sheriff gives him an hour to leave town. But uh, the school marm Bethany is looking at 10 years in prison, whatever that means here. She's been warned before. Yeah, this ain't new for her. Mm -hmm. So uh, Archer decides to spring her, shows up at the jail, knocks the deputy out. But I guess the sheriff must find him right away because the whole lynch mob gang is waiting in the street when Archer and Bethany ride through in her wagon. Yeah. And uh, she gets shot. So Archer has the two of them beamed up. Flox reveals that she's a quarter skag up there. That don't matter. It doesn't matter at all. There's no reason. It does. The only thing that could come into it is to explain to us why she cares about the yeah. skag. Because you but couldn't care about case, somebody. Yes. That sucks. You couldn't care about someone unless you were unless you were the same species. Right. Yeah, that sucks a dick if that's the explanation for that. Yep. I, and otherwise it doesn't matter. I couldn't think of one besides that. That was it. Uh, but now... Uh, Bennings saw them beam out. He thinks this has got to be skag technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, his response, he wants to burn them out. Just get rid of all the skags once and for all. Mm. And uh, when the sheriff tells him that ain't the law and you're not going to do that when you're working for me, he hands over his badge yeah. and leaves. So, And I guess goes and puts together a whole posse that sheriff is like Odo he only cares about justice Uh, exactly so up on the ship Archer uh, they're all discussing what to do they've still the Zindi shit ain't over it's just on hold this week I guess yeah so they can't stick around and help they couldn't evacuate the 6,000 people there back to earth from the expanse even if they wanted to now that ship ain't big enough for that but Archer wants to uh, give him a show of force, let him know that Earth is still out there and that they'll send people or whatever. So he flies on down in a shuttle, lands in the middle of town, steps out right in front of the sheriff. He's got Reed and T-Pole and a few Makos with him, mm-hmm. and he goes to talk to the sheriff. They talk about prejudice yep. and how there's no prejudice left on Earth. And, Except uh, prejudice against Vulcans. And he's going to have to drop this shit if, if and when they get home. And then they step out, and the sheriff's like, all right, everything's good here. We're all fine. But this is when Benning shows up, and he shoots the sheriff. They exchange a few words, but then there's a big, dumb firefight. Uh, Archer gets gets one in the shoulder. Benning chases him into a stable, but they still fist fight. Archer just has to fight him one-handed. It's fine. He does pretty well for a guy with a fucking hole blown through his shoulder. Uh, in the, definitely the goriest special effect Yep. Yeah. They showed it. He I got shot say. from behind, and it like blows out the front of him. Like it's yeah. They went for it's, it. It's pretty good. They did a pretty good job with that. Mm-hmm. Except then he just uh, runs around and punches and kicks and stuff. One of Benning's men takes T-Ball hostage for one second so that Reed can be cool as shit and stun her before stunning her assailant. Yeah, because the guy's so confused. He's like, "Well, why yeah. did you shoot her? She's my hostage." Great. Anyway, Archer wins his fight, and then back up on the Enterprise, he. Uh, gives bethany that same bird's eye view of the planet that picard 
does both in Who Watches the Watchers and in First Contact. Uh-huh. And uh, he tells her <laughs> that by the time Earth can send ships there, he's pretty sure things will have changed on there. They'll solve prejudice before the humans get back. It's already sure. solved! And, uh, yeah, cut to Bethany teaching human and skag children from a pad that I guess Enterprise left as Sheriff McCready looks on. Approvingly. Yeah. Yeah, they all changed uh, literally overnight. Fantastic. Matt, what's this damn episode about? We talked about this a little bit offline. You can let me know if I'm oversensitive. Uh, I had just because you used to be on the bottom doesn't mean you should be a shit when you're on top. But I was wondering if this was some kind of anti-leftist, anti-liberal, anti-progressive agenda where they were like, Now they let blacks into college! What's next? They're gonna buy us at auction? Or something? Because this is the the old slaves became the masters and started treating people real bad. They didn't just make them be jerks. They had the specific backstory where these guys used to be the slaves and they overthrew them. And now look what's happening. They're bad guys. So maybe I, I wasn't reading it right. Maybe I'm too sensitive about this stuff, but I didn't understand what the point of the backstory was. Um, uh, sure. Uh, uh, but I split the difference and I gave it a three. Because if it was just don't be a shit when you're on top, just because you used to be on the bottom, that's sort of no- close to nothing. That's like a four or something. But if it's, um, hey, watch out, because the blacks used to be on the bottom. I mean, that would be pretty bad. So, uh, I think what happened was, it's not that you are overly sensitive, it's that the writers are insufficiently sensitive, and they accidentally put their foot right in it. Okay. (laughs) And that they probably, I think that there is, uh, you will notice in this episode, there are no black people. Uh Uh-huh. They stole some I humans from the olden days, but they didn't steal only any whites. blacks. They only stole whites. Yep. Uh, I think that they were intentionally trying to avoid that particular... Like, if that was the story they wanted to tell, this wouldn't be the Old West. It would be the Antebellum South, right? Yeah. It'd be... Uh, Swampy and awful like the Carolinas. <laughs> sure. I mean, I imagine right? the Old West was pretty racist too, but yes, sure. Uh, it for sure was racist, but the racism was different. And the intentional parallel they were going for here was about uh, sort of laws that prevented education and access for Native Americans. It was the deliberate parallel they were trying to make. But then why the slavery and they, backstory? The, slavery, the, problem, the slavery backstory is entirely, I think, intended to explain... Why these? Why the old West is on this planet? But then they wouldn't have to make them humans, and they wouldn't have to make it the old West. They could have made it anything. That is correct. <sighs> they did not need to do that at all. It's just anyway. So uh, let's just dive right sure, into sure, sure, sure. behind the scenes. The guy who did this wanted to do a big old TOS story, and by that he meant a he... big old West story. No, I mean like he specifically wanted to do. Uh, the planet of the cowboys in the planet of the Nazis, planet of the Romans, TOS tradition. All the things that we hated yeah. about season two. Yes. He was intentionally trying to do. Well. But they didn't think they could get away with Hodgkin's Law of Parallel Development. <laughs> so they came up with this instead. But it's canon. It is canon. <laughs> they could have just existed used it. for them to use. 
Ugh, well, anyway, I, so for me, it was a three. I don't know. What what um, what take did you have? Uh, so uh, the take that I have for this episode is you can use technology to subjugate a people or you can use laws and both are immoral. Okay. And I don't think there's much more that ha- is happening in this episode than this is how we used to be and it wasn't so great. Right. Like the Old West. Hey, cowboy times were actually kind of a nightmare if you... Like, if you really got trapped in the Old West, you'd hate every minute of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone these days can think otherwise. Maybe there was a romance about it back in the olden times, but... Yeah, but I mean, I mean, as you brought up, you just have to go to Twitter. There are people who are nostalgic and uncritical of the past, and I think that means there's always some room for this in sci-fi, but it's not a revelation. I gave it three as well. Yeah. And uh, Ben... Uh, has the straight up and down take old grievances are not an excuse for current atrocities clearly a commentary on race relations he gives it five okay he's a two on execution though seems fair lame damsel in distress stuff why was enterprise here again Uh i don't know what the again is because they do not say it at all nope and he says there was some pretext in the intro, but I totally missed it. Nope. You did not. No, the first time we see anyone from Enterprise, Archer is looking at the uh, the lynching spot. Yeah, again, really the only pretext is when T'Pol says, I've confirmed they're humans. Yep. That is the only suggestion they're, that they had. They're very good bioscanners must have detected humans and they came to investigate. That's the only thing or I can think of. Probably they fucking showed up at this planet for whatever reason turned on their great great uh camera yeah and they were like that's the universal backlot what's it doing <laughs> that's not supposed to be here they were like this is not just people who look like humans that we're looking at the old west yeah uh he said he so ben ben wonders how the humans could have overpowered the skags who had uh interstellar travel mm-hmm Clearly, they just defeated this one colony and not the whole race. Yeah, so where, where are the rest, are the rest of, of them? them? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Skag crow laws keeping them down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then they go on for hundreds of years without advances in technology or even in their sense of style. Yeah, I have comments about that. Yeah. Um, he's a two. I gave it as many as three. Wow. I know. Very <laughs> gen- feels very generous. A three out of ten. What do you want to marry him? <laughs> the episode goes full cowboy. They don't make any effort to establish why the ship is at this planet, how it fits into the Zindi arc. It starts and ends here. Mm. Is that because they couldn't come up with a way to make it make sense? I mean, everything that that happens in this episode is very flimsy if you dig at it. Yeah, I think they could not. I think it's pretty clear they did not have an explanation. Why did these interstellar aliens need a handful of dumb human slaves? Yep. They say because they could survive on this planet, but, but like... What are they doing so, on this planet? But so but so can so can the Skags, and also so can technology. It's like if you have... You're telling me these guys needed a handful of people to like... To build the railroad here? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You have the technology to fly between fucking star systems, but you need these people to fucking build you a pyramid or whatever. <laughs> like, this is like in season four of Sequest DSV when the aliens are like, we need your ship to fight our war. We're losing our like, giant space on. battle. Only your submarine will save us. <laughs> you can get my, you can get our cool submarine to a whole other planet to fight a battle, but you can't just build a good submarine there. <laughs> it's wild. 
uh, AKA Space Battleship Yamato. Yes, the ship that got sunk by some escort carriers in World War II is definitely the only hope we have to defeat the alien menace or whatever happens in Space Battleship Yamato. The uh, the townspeople, they have new guns and clothes. They can get coffee from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense. Nope. They, uh, they were enslaved for all of six months before they overthrew the Skagarans. All right, but it was a hard six months. They made them build those railroads. Sure. That's fine, but it definitely means they have had all of those 250 years and they are still living in the exact Old West that they were living in before. Yeah, I mean, I have some explanation for that. <sighs> like, it's hard. I get it. There's 6,000 of them. Yes. They're focused on survival. It's hard to advance, et cetera, et cetera. Honestly, you'd be doing good just are to get... Are they making their own steel? Are they making... Who's making those shot glasses? This is what I was saying. They're, the fact that they are exactly in the Old West is the problem. It's, you'd be doing very well to get up to the standard of living if the Old West, if you got sucked out of the Old West and put on an alien planet and there's only six that, well, now there's 6,000 of you. Who knows how many there were then? It's just the 6,000 randos. Yeah. Did they get a couple of blacksmiths? It's confusing. But did they get some engineers too? Also, if there's only 6,000 people, why is there such a surplus? No, no. There's 6,000 people after 250 years. But I'm saying now there are 6,000 people. How is there enough surplus people for for there to be jobs like bartender? That's a good, very good question. What? They should all be subsistence farmers. That's what I'm saying. How do you even survive like that? (laughs) Ugh. Ugh. Uh, they use every single Western trope in the filming of this episode. Don't worry about it. They're all there. Yep. It's a fistful of data, but serious. God, yeah. Uh, they really wallowed in it, and I hated it. And then in big Jim Kirk style, Archer pronounces that they'll get used to the changes and fucks off. Yeah. This is the most TOS ending to any episode of any non-TOS series. They actually go a step farther because in TOS, they don't bother to show you the next day when everything's fixed. No. You don't actually know. No, because in the Apple, it would have just been the whole planet's fucking at once. <laughs> it's hard to show it on the 60s television. One of them figured it out and everyone was like, that looks hella good. I don't know why, but that looks why good. Why are they making them noises? I like that. Um, Yeah, and this one we get to see did the day after and everything's fantastic. Yeah. You know what? It's a two. I gave it a three, but it's a two. Uh, like the only good thing you can say about it is that they do when they do all of the Western tropes, they get them all right. Yeah, they don't they don't screw any of them up. That's the best you can say about it. Although it is weirdly grainy and overexposed to the point where a lot of it looked like it was CGI, but it definitely wasn't because that definitely is the universal backlot. Yes. Yep. Like, this was an episode where they did not need any CGI because it was all being done for real. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was clearly a filler episode. Uh, Let's get away from the darkness of The Expanse for a minute and have an Old West farce. You remember last week we got to see Earth get blown up and everything. It's just like, I think they were like, let's, this is a good time to chill, I think. But I mean, that put up 30 points and the shipment put up 38. You want to. I know. They're ignoring our rubric. You want to dive back into. (laughs) Makes me mad. Uh, but, what was their last real terrible episode on scores? They got a 23 for the Zindi, but I think... Uh, they often do. They got an 18 for Bounty. That was their last... 
real bad score. Yeah, it annoyed me. Uh, the cheesy, hopeful ending also annoyed me. So what, Archer fixed this planet by shooting his way through town? It's fucking yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, he shot up the four bad apples. <sighs> Everybody else is going to be cool with this. Yeah, I had it as a two. I could have seen a one, but I gave it a two. Uh, well, so now here is my very serious question. Did you score even one point for world building? I have it as a one. Here's what I got. The Expanse has some humans living in an Old West kind of farce. The Skagarans took some humans a couple hundred years ago for some reason, and they were overthrown by the humans at some point. There's a lot of vagary in this. Who the Skagarans are is a thing. That's a question. The Skagarans make whiskey different somehow. It's the same plot as the 37s, by the way. Obviously nothing of note here besides some aliens we'll never see again and barely saw in this episode once came to Earth and kidnapped some people. That's it. Uh, ben is a two. Skagar and whiskey. Humans always seem to love exotic alcohol. I don't even remember if Archer drinks it. No. I know McCready drinks it, yeah. but he lives on that planet. And they seem to be getting pretty comfortable with transporting humans now. It still seems to be last resort. Uh, I will say, I think this is the first time someone specified the number of people to beam up. Yeah, two to beam up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have Skagarans. Guess that's about it. Um, <laughs> it's true. It literally is zero points, though. I mean, it's fair. I, it's probably not going to matter for the universe. Only the idea that is a, happened in Babylon 5 and stuff, where people came to Earth, and obviously the 37th. People came 37s. to Earth, and they took some dudes, and that was it. That's all I could get out of it. But the 37th, and I can't believe I'm going to defend that episode. There's a dramatic purpose to it. <clears throat> it establishes a place where Voyager could stop. Right. Yes. Could the back half of that episode build a life. is maybe we should stay here. Right. By the way, you gave the 37s 20 points. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so there, yeah, I give it 10. It's one of our, it's our biggest difference. Oh, that's, what, that's, our, <laughs> that's the big split on my side. What's the big split on your side? Um, huh, will that show up somewhere in all of your numbers? Uh, no, okay. it, I mean, we know that it's 10 points, but I yeah. don't know what episode I'd have to go through is. and check. But, um, but yeah, that's. I think the colors will help us with that. That's, that's a pretty the big biggest split. split on your side. You gave that 20, I gave it 10. I hated it. Remember, do you remember why they they talked the whole time about their great advances in their great city and they never fucking showed us the city? No, that's true. We did never get to see the city. We never saw it. Uh, we were nine apart on the big goodbye. Yeah. Oh, boy. Keep, hold on, everybody. We're you can in, keep telling us. We don't have to do this whole thing. We're investigating. Hold on. Boy, I cannot find I mean, I'm assuming that this is an episode where I'm red and you're green. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. But, like, I guess it's possible that you could be very green and I could be very light green or something. Yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out another time, I guess. Um, So, uh, I'm sorry. So, you gave yours as a zero, right? Uh, It's a straight zero, yeah. So, I guess characterization is what we're on to. Yeah, uh, Ben. Ben's a two. Archer's Messiah complex. Nothing new about his character imposing himself on yet another society. It's a little more understandable because these guys are humans behaving badly. Yeah. Um, I am also a two. Okay. The character of Archer is right at home here, and every dumb move is something he definitely would have done. Yep. (laughs) So there's that. Yep. And no one else is in it. God, basically. Uh, Trip 
Trip and T-Pole do one scene where they trade for a horse, mm-hmm. one scene where they find some shit. Yeah. And then they're out of the episode. Yeah. And Phlox does a medicine briefly and tells them uh, it's okay. She's one of them. God. Uh, yeah. Um, I gave it a three. Let's see what I got. Trip is irrationally confident. I've seen a ton of movies with horses, but I wouldn't be confident that if I just saddled up, I could make one do whatever I wanted it to do. But he's like, I've seen movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I have ridden, I've actually ridden a horse. It's been more than 20, it's been 20, 25 years or so, but I have actually ridden one. I have zero faith that I'd be able to get a horse to do what I wanted. Yeah. Um, shouldn't we expect T-Pole to object to this mission? She hasn't brought up once that this has nothing to do with the Zindi, and surely they can wait to change this entire society until their mission's completed. Yeah, the only reasonable explanation is that this is a fight she already lost, and she doesn't want to get <laughs> That's right, that's again. part of the backstory we didn't get about how they she got here. She lost it before this episode started. Yeah. It's uh, Progress, it's the DS9 episode Progress, by the way. I'm a 15 and you're a 25. Ah, okay. Ah, Progress. Which one was that? Oh, Don't know. All that's the one where Kiro blew up that guy's kiln. Oh, that's right. You loved that kiln episode. I was all in on the kiln, for sure. I gave it 25. Oh, uh, yeah. You, you're 25 on that. It was, so it was, that's why it was hard to find, because 15 is average for me. Right. Um, I'd say some of the humans should have objected to this, too, but maybe we're supposed to believe they're doing this because there were humans in the expanse. That whole question. I don't know. Why isn't T-Pole armed when they go down there? Everyone else is armed. Yeah. Why did they take her? What's she for? I take her down. Just to show oh, that they, they have an so alien? They introduce a Vulcan. That's right. <laughs> well, anyway, she's not armed and she gets taken hostage. Um, Reed doesn't play it cool and starts a firefight. Archer is Archer through and through, as you said, the entire episode. So, um, yeah, it's, but He's also the worst version of this, right? Because he, there's dumb imperialist Kirk stuff at the end. Yes. It just feels true to him. Uh, I read all those notes and it's a two. Okay. That's <laughs> Upon further review, it's, I think I've only taken points off this week. I've been gradually shaving points. Yeah, I think I've only shaved too, frankly. Um, I guess I'll do some quick ones. Um, cheesy network script ideas strike again. Again, hey, look, it's bye bye Hathaway. Uh, actors suck sometimes, huh? Yeah, I mean, they when you're on Star Trek. Uh, we can ask the magic cloaks about this. Mm. You're not getting the best writing to work with. <laughs> it's true. And you're often not getting the best direct. Like if the best and most beloved TNG director is Jonathan Frakes. Uh, yeah. Like wh- what does that tell you about all the guys who were directing before they let him take a turn? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. A, r- a bunch of real shit stains, but let me ask you this. Was this a director's note? The deputy straight up checks to see if Archer and this girl are under a handful of dirt after they beam out. Uh, yeah, that's very dumb. Runs it's up extremely there, dumb. and he's so befuddled, and he grabs a handful of dry soil, and when they're not there, he fucking loses it. Also, the sheriff refers to what he just witnessed as a parlor trick. <laughs> that guy's seen got, some good tricks. They got good-ass magic on Yeah, don't planet. tell me they haven't advanced beyond the 1800s. Their fucking magic acts are top-notch. 
Yeah, they for they got sure Chris got Angel, Chris Angel mind. Yeah, freak. they got fucking what was the other one? Blaine, David Blaine. <laughs> David Blaine. They got all that shit in the 1800s. Now listen, son, I've seen the Statue of Liberty disappear. <laughs> so that is nothing but a but a, a run of the mill parlor they, trick. They used the mirrors, or the, we they changed the direction <laughs> we were looking at, or something. The guy for a minute became Bill Cosby. <laughs> well, because of the way I said mirrors. Mirrors. <laughs> Well, now, you made him Willie from Alf, so how do you Alf, feel about that? They were Alf. just using mirrors. Oh. <laughs> um, did, uh... I never said I was good at accents. <laughs> did, um, did Archer just leave that phase pistol where he dropped it when he got shot? Uh, it, it did appear that he did not attempt to pick it up. I hope he got it later, because that's going to be one of... You know what? He doesn't care. He gave him that pad. What a, they're going to come back and get these guys at some point. They don't give a shit. Uh, These are humans. There's no prime directive yet, and it certainly doesn't apply here. But they might need all their phase pistols in the expanse. Those uh, those horse adjacent stunts made me nervous. Boy, they were rolling. Oh under yeah, that when horse. they were rolling under that horse. That horse is well trained. It didn't yeah, try to that stomp is anybody. That is true. It didn't panic about that thing happening at all. Yeah. Uh, so the the horse adjacent stunts made me nervous, and that deputy dude's nasty 1800s hair when he took his hat off made me sick. For sure, this this was the 1800s version of the guy from the Gabriel Bell riots, whose name I now don't remember. Uh, Beep, BD, <laughs> Beep. Uh, you're talking about uh, Kid Rock? Kid Rock, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember his name either. Um, Nobody in Star Trek ever even talks about how, again, impossible it is to make societal progress when your entire population is 6,000 scattered among various settlements. Anyway... Like, you'd be doing pretty good to make a better lantern or maybe, like, a good way to clean your guns. Like, they ain't gonna make airplanes or the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we already talked about that anyway. Anyway, that's all I had. Ben has a couple. Uh, he says uh, Firefly did it better. All right. I mean, that's true. Well, it was about something. That show... <laughs> I bet that would score much better on our rubric. Hey, to put that yeah. into the one. We didn't say that earlier, did we? Oh, we didn't do Firefly. There's not enough episodes is the trouble. Oh, uh, yeah, it would run out. They're going to drop out real early. They'd have to go Babylon against Space Rangers. going to have five seasons. Like, it's really going to... Yeah, they have to go on the short-lived one. <laughs> Space Rangers and... Uh, hey, is that um, Star Command that only made the pilot? Is that going to be enough? <laughs> uh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> Uh, then he says, as someone who actually likes a good white hat, black hat western, I can say with some authority that this episode sucked. Good. Uh, he said the one thing that made sense was that the professionally trained Makos with superior weaponry would have easily dispatched the Cowboys. Yeah, but um, there was a lot. They still did it. Don't worry about it. They still did all the tropes where they're shooting the phasers, but it's just like making a splash in the trough like a bullet would. Yeah. And the, again, T-Pole still got captured briefly. And, they were, and you know, Archer got shot. It wasn't as easy as it should have been, really. Yeah. It should have. It really should have gone easier than that. And for one thing, they wide beam. Haven't figured out wide beam stunts yes. yet. I don't know if that exists, <laughs> but uh, that's what you're gonna want in one of these things. I had almost nothing yeah. like in quick hitters. I, I said, uh, "Man, I hope this whole thing isn't the grainy green screen hour." But it was. Yep. Then uh, about halfway through, I wrote, "I hate all of this," and then I wrote, <laughs> "Good note." Uh, only on Enterprise would this medical scene be showing so much of this poor actress's pelvis. Yeah. Like, she definitely had to get a bikini wax before they... Oh, yeah. 
before they did the scene where Flox is removing the bullet, not from anywhere on her body that's exposed. I wasn't closely paying attention. Was it the? Did they use the real actress or was it a body double? I mean, I don't know. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't paying attention. She's not awake in that scene. She's not acting immediately afterwards. It could easily have been a body double, but it was like they had one thin fold of cloth over her tits and one over just yeah just the explicit parts of her pelvis just the clam definitely yeah you definitely like uh saw well down below her hips mm. it was, and there was no point it was purely gratuitous and that's enterprise only for on you. enterprise yeah. only enterprise would have shot that that way <laughs> that's how they do it there was no medical reason for that to have happened like when Jordy dies in that one episode you know the one parallels and uh all he's got over him is that little sheet but it's only over oh, his yeah. peen just his peen that was weird why was that he didn't he die of plasma burns or something yeah why did they need to like uncover his whole body except his peen i didn't get it yeah uh i give best actor to the proud barkeep yeah probably he was pretty proud that his ancestor was whoever i don't remember yeah and i gave worst actor to deputy sinister yeah he was fucking horrible Oh, God, we're through four out of five. Okay. We are. Uh, last week's winner was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Destiny. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. All right, you thought those first two were pretty quick. Check this one out. <laughs> a team of Card- I don't understand this race. A team of Cardassian scientists come to DS9 to work on some kind of dang signal relay through the wormhole to the Gamma Quadrant. Unfortunately, a Bajoran Vedic comes to the station and warns that this is part of a prophecy that spells doom for the wormhole and Bajor. Cisco and Kira spend the episode interrogating their own beliefs about prophecy and Cisco's role in it, especially as the events on the station and the Defiant begin to parallel what has been described in the prophecy. The final result of the mission is positive, and it can still be read as accurate according to prophecy, so big shrug emoji, I guess. Meanwhile, O'Brien has some misunderstandings with one of the Cardassian scientists who becomes romantically interested in him. What was this one about? I hate you. Why? <laughs> My throat is fucking hoarse. No, you wanted more break. Describing Enterprise and TOS, <laughs> and then you do two sentences, and then Look, I gotta talk again. Was that not an accurate? Uh, yeah, no, that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, Ben's take on this one. This is his pick of the week. Okay. Uh, is something like differing experiences and backgrounds lead to different perspectives and beliefs. He thought for a minute it was going to be religion puts blinders on you, but they end up treating it with a little more respect than that and leaving the question of the validity of religion more open. Mm. He's a five. I think his take exemplifies. Uh, so, he, so both both what the episode is about and also the sort of vagueness of what the episode is about, which is yeah. why it, I'm not sure that I've even got full sentences here. This is sort of an episode about unconscious or subconscious cultural biases. Like we like everyone's got them. Yep. And if we aren't careful, they they color everything we do, uh, even the stuff we think is objective. Right. Like, the whole episode is about personal beliefs affecting rational judgments. Odo calls it out specifically. 
pretty early on when he says that both Vedic Yarka. Yeah, that was his name. And Cisco are bringing their own emotions to how they interpret the prophecy. Yeah. Because uh, this guy Yarka, it turns out, is really anti the Cardassian Treaty. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been making noises and everyone's pretty sick of him. Uh, to the point where he's been defrocked. Yeah. And also... Well, that's why he's, when he uh, shows up, he's just wearing like some gray-ass fucking jumpsuit or whatever. Right. But he's still got followers. Not those sick-ass um, robes. Right. And the flip side of that is that uh, I guess Odo has recognized that Cisco's super uncomfortable with being the emissary. Yeah, I got a lot to say about that for sure. Uh, so, like, that's the specific place where they call it out. But there's there's other stuff in here, too. Like, the way the Cardassians make scientific and engineering judgments is very different from Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and some of it has to do with, uh, like, there's obvious blame-deflecting behavior, I think, because of the constant... Th- because they're in the military and the Obsidian Order is is there. Yeah. Yeah, you fuck um, up in Cardassia, you, you you get fucked up. And then there's the straightforward stuff like uh, Galora misinterpreting O'Brien's perpetual bad mood. <laughs> yes, because he's power play O'Brien. <laughs> as horniness and also she thinks he's an idiot because he's a man and and both of these things sort of interfere with their ability to do the engineering job they're there to do because they're arguing all the time and stuff yeah so like i think that's what it is right this is even if you even if you think you're being rational and objective you're carrying stuff with you and you need to be aware of that and sort of factor it in and uh, it's so that's a Star Trek idea, sort of. I think a shit ton of work was done in that area, for sure. Yes, but the trouble is, it's not it's not easy to say definitively what they're saying about it. Yes. Uh, so instead, it's Star Trekky. It's definitely a blind spot that we all have, and people definitely still think that they are that they don't have it and that they're rational mm-hmm. uh, all the time. So I'm not mad at this. It's exactly like how I definitely thought that doctor whose name I didn't understand had to be a man. Until it was time to check out my pee-pee, and then I saw it was a lady. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. Is this a story you've told? I told this before. (laughs) How I I needed uh, to get a physical or whatever, and I didn't... The doctor had some kind of foreign person (laughs) name that I didn't know, and I just... Because of my unconscious biases, I thought it was going to be a man doctor. So you thought it was going to be a a dude from some part of Europe you're not really sure about, and and it turned out a lady came in. A lady came in, and then I was afraid the whole time that she thought I set this up intentionally because I wanted a lady to touch my stuff. I see. I see. Maybe it's not like that at all, and it's just what I was thinking about. Well... Uh, anyway, uh, this is definitely is definitely relatable. There's nothing real bad about this. I actually gave it a seven points for the take. Yeah. Um. So here's what I I had more of that good. Not all races slash species are one thing that we've been seeing a little bit more of lately. These are not like Cardassians we've seen before. Maybe it's yes. because they have different jobs. Maybe they're civilians. Well, particularly the two that aren't Obsidian Order. Yes. Are not and like the. The way they relate to the Obsidian Order one and everything makes it pretty clear that we're doing another thing where it's like, oh, these are different kinds of Cardis, which I like. Right. This is the Klingon lawyer from uh, Justice. Judgment. (laughs) Yes. Also, what's the Bible? Oh, yeah. They give us two takes here. I mean, they're tackling multiple things. 
there's a kind of a cultural societal thing going on and then there's a how does religion really work how does what is this how does what's going on um so i like to give bonus points when i get to two things being covered in an episode and so i gave it seven points um in terms of execution ban is a six okay that's actually Uh, his pick of the week right that that's the high point in the pick of the week yeah uh, he says, uh, pretty good. Handled the miscues by O'Brien and the Cardi woman pretty well, he thought. A lot of it was done with looks rather than slaps on the butt. That's good. <laughs> well, there's no right way. There's no... Now, Charlie, there's no right way to hit a woman. You should definitely hit one, but there's just no right way to do it. I'm out of my depth here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he thinks Cisco does a good job navigating his role... And that Kira plays against it well. Um, how did you feel? I agreed it was a six. Um, this was as much personality as we've seen from Cardassians outside of Garrick and Dukat. And even they sit in roles we associate with the majority of Cardi characters in society. Either military guys or spies or whatever. Right. Seeing these civilians and how they think and act is actually pretty helpful in fleshing out the world of the Cardis, which I always like. The take on prophecies less well done, but the effort's there. And I'll talk more about it as we go on. Um, I enjoyed the part of the O'Brien comedic romance plotline until it got all moody at the end. For some reason, this lady, like, sulks away, and I guess we're supposed to care about that? Uh, I didn't so understand. O'Brien, O'Brien puts his fucking fat Irish foot in it. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm not remotely interested. I'm not remotely attracted to you. Then she and, gets all butter. Uh, yeah, and then she gets she gets real hurt about and it. Because, like, you know, she she put it out there. She was like, I'm fertile. We could have a lot of kids. Yeah, seriously, I'm, I can feel how fertile I am. I got like a hundred eggs in there. I'm a scientist, and like all scientists in Next Generation, I do every science, and I have looked into it, and I am fertile. Yeah. And, but I thought the whole plot line was supposed to be comedic, and then suddenly it was like they made sad music, and she like sulked away, and then he had to apologize to her later, and I was like, what is this? What's happening here? Yeah, they make up at the end, right? They say goodbye or whatever. Yeah. Um, finally, this show gave Cisco and Kira things to do and to think about. And even though I didn't love how it happened, because I'll, I'll just get into it now. I, I did not like that Odo was the one who had to tell Cisco how he felt about being emissary. And I didn't like that the Vedic told Kira how she felt about the emissary. Yeah. We did. were not shown that in any other way. Suddenly, Odo just tells Cisco that and Kira just is told that by the Vedic. They haven't been playing that. Yes, and I I think, so, this is a problem with Deep Space Nine. It is not this show's problem, but it is a huge problem that Cisco meets the wormhole aliens. Yeah. Kai Wynn and Kai Opaka both refer to... Okay, so especially Kai is not too bad. Kai Wynn refers to the emissary in a kind of passive-aggressive way, mm. like, I'm saddled with you. Yes. Other than that, no exploration. Yeah. Nothing about how Cisco feels about being the emissary. Nothing about how Kira feels about Cisco being the emissary. Nothing about how Starfleet expects him to walk this line. Mm-hmm. So it has been completely absent from three seasons of Deep Space Nine. Now it drops in here. Yeah, now, and Odo just tells him. Exactly. And I are they shooting this in order or something? Because up until that point, Cisco plays this so wooden. 
and the instant oh no you're exactly right the the acting does change from that scene yeah. on as if it was shot chronologically the instant odo tells him he's been w- fucking nervous about this emissary thing the whole time the rest of the episode cisco's good the rest of the episode after kira is told how she feels about the emissary kira is good it's because they suddenly have something to do which is our yep, biggest criticism of this show to do our biggest criticism the whole time has been they don't give Cisco anything to do unless it's like single dad stuff and they never give Kira anything to do even when it is entirely appropriate that she should have something to do. I agree. Um, so I like that they were able to do that even though I didn't like the introduction of what their motivations were. Um, and, but then the ending again is a big who knows. It kind of is. It's just like when Janeway shrugged her shoulders and went, I don't fucking know. I, I gotta take a shit. You know, when when Kes was exactly. trying, or whoever, when Harry Kim or whoever was trying to talk. <laughs> That's right. And she's like, like yeah, I was in that fucking pod. And <laughs> she's like, yeah. Like, no, for sure. There's definitely that a- the afterlife. And she's like, listen, there was some energy out there. <laughs> oh, I don't understand that. So, then she, you know. She put her hand on his leg and said, listen, sister, I gotta take a shit. And that was it. Um, So... There were things I really liked about it, and there were some things that I could have done without, and it was a six for me. Uh, I don't disagree. In fact, I'm only a five. Okay. So, uh, first of all, this is a this is one of those weeks with a clock that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They they so they show up there. The prophecy is the three vipers are going to do the thing, and there'll be a sword of stars. They get to the other side. The third Cardassian's already showed up, yeah. so that's a whole the thing. Obsidian Order Cardi, and they see this comet, and they're like, "It's going to pass pretty close to the wormhole, but eh, not so close that it's any danger." Mm-hmm. But they weren't expecting the comet to be there. Yeah, and they are attempting to do science, and it's fragile. Yeah. Is there any reason they couldn't have waited a few hours for that comet to pass? Yeah, wait for the comet to pass, and then we'll give it a go. Yeah. Like, uh, let's get back to the conditions you were expecting. Yes, it's exactly like in that other one when those guys show up to take that colony ASAP. <laughs> You're like, yeah. what is the hurry? It's like, the clock doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that's my number one complaint. Uh, number two, it's kind of wild to remind us about the wormhole aliens again because they have been so thoroughly ignored thus far. Yeah, they aren't up to much. It really makes it seem like he's just not been thinking about them for three years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, these dudes are so out of it, like they're not even in linear time, that there's no guarantee that they wouldn't just watch the Bajoran people burn and go weird. Yeah, I wonder what that was. So if he thinks if he thinks it's all real now and just starts buying Bajoran interpretations of prophecy, he's really no better off than when he thought it was all mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, he needs to come to his own scientific understanding of what is happening here, I think. Right. I, and it's just such a huge, daunting question to occasionally bring up and leave hanging. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty by the numbers, Star Trek. It's not bad. Like you said, once Kira and Cisco have motivation, the acting's not bad. I mean, seriously, it's like the whole show changes. I hope this is something they will play in the future because, like, you can't do the show without those two characters, and they've been trying right. to do it. Um, And I think that it's a little bit problematic. So... This story can never be a by-the-numbers faith story because Cisco has talked to the prophets. Oh, yeah. 
we know that they are outside of time. Like, all of the points... He makes some brief points about this is a thousands of years old prophecy Mm -hmm. that has been retranslated and reinterpreted over and over again. It was written very metaphorically to start with. What is the Bible, right? Right. Um, And that's all true, even knowing that the prophets are real and that they have some kind of weird powers. Mm -hmm. But, like... Definitely, this is not throwaway information. Like, when Kira tells him, all right, so it's the wormhole aliens then. Right. And, you know, it's not the celestial temple or whatever. She is doing that to try to appease him, to try to give him an out. Yeah, she's giving him what she calls the Starfleet explanation. She's giving him the Starfleet explanation. But also, the Starfleet explanation is perfectly valid. Mm -hmm. And it should be enough to push him in the direction of... Like, we know that they're associated with these orbs in some way. Oh, yeah. And that the orbs... And that's where the prophecy comes from. Yeah, the orbs uh, often let them see things that do, do end up happening in their future and shit. So it's kind of watered... It's, it's not a really a straight-by-the-numbers faith story. Because there is evidence. Because he has a lot of evidence right. yeah. to believe that some of this might be true. Which, by the way, removes the faith any... aspect. Well, if you have evidence, exactly. it's not faith anymore. It's just science. I don't think he has any evidence as to how the... Like, this is not the Edo Guardian. Yeah. I don't know that he knows how... I'm sorry, he... I'm sorry, sorry. I think you mean Lissy in High Command. Please. <laughs> I didn't mean Lissy in High Command. I can't wait for that episode. <laughs> how the... How the prophets actually feel about the Bajorans. Like, what they, how they view that role. Mm-hmm. And what the purpose of the orbs is and everything like that. So there's room to play in that space. But it, it, it's not a straight faith story. Anyway. Uh, that That's a lot of criticism. I gave it a five okay. in execution. Uh, world building. Uh, ben gave it a four. He says official Cardi Bajoran peace treaty was quietly signed off screen. I think it was. Wasn't it done by the it end? Was, it was. It was established by the end of the episode where Vedic Baril dies. Yeah. Uh, uh, he says Lamar. I think he means Canar. <laughs> Lamar is a Cardi drink that can go bad like wine. Yep. Um. On Cardassia, women run the sciences because the men are off running the military, mostly weird cardi courting rituals. You know, I don't know if it's because the men are in the military. They definitely have the attitude that men are not good at science. Yeah, they're like, their brains don't work for it. Maybe that's why they are in the military. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I'm a four. Okay. So maybe slightly more than the standard three here. Yeah. Uh, Cardassians like it hot. Their science and engineering practices are riskier than Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they flirt real weird. Yep. The Obsidian Order are permanent shit disturbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of this communication to the Gamma Quadrant, it's now possible. That's kind of the big piece of world building for Deep Space Nine. A lot of stuff about Cardassians and their culture, and then the wormhole. Yeah. Uh, we all agreed it was a four. Uh, here's what I got. The, this fucking era of good feelings with Cardassia out of nowhere. Now they do science together in the Gamma Quadrant and shit. Um, the 34th and 35th rule of acquisition. I know you don't care about those. I don't count them as world building. I, I do, I actually do like the 34th and 35th rule of acquisition. That they go so well together that war is good for business and peace is good for for business. business. Peace is good for business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cardassian vole fighting. Um, prophecy is still a frustratingly present force in Bajoran society. This Vedic went over the Kai's head coming to Cisco. 
Cisco claims he received three calls from Starfleet Command just this morning. We never see that shit. That's true. That's an insane amount. Um, Federation engineering policies stress redundancy in systems. I guess that's why they can always get shit up and running so quickly. Maybe less a matter of individual engineering training and more a matter of policy. Yeah, it's like there's a this is a lot of discussion. So there's another one also when they're sort of talking about the design of the experiment and the risks mm-hmm. and something like that a little later on. Uh where it's clear that just the philosophy on how these things are done is different mm-hmm. on Cardassia. Silithium mm, comet on Cardassia um The sexist belief there is that men can't do science. They just don't have a head for it. More Obsidian Order stuff, but this lady doesn't even try to blend in. Like, seriously. She just shows up and starts accusing everybody of being fucking unpatriotic assholes. And then sulks and stalks around quietly and everything. Like, this lady's a terrible Obsidian Order fucking plant. Yes, uh, it is... It's odd. So we didn't we didn't even really talk about this. They go to so what happens is this comet is going to okay. They do the experiment even though the comet is nearby. Mm-hmm. The experiment triggers a huge gravity surge from the wormhole. Yeah, it does a whoopsie. And the gravity surge starts to pull the comet in, and the silithium in it is bad. Yeah, news for the wormhole. Uh, someone yells, "Can we blow it into pieces?" <laughs> yeah. I, that someone is O'Brien. Oh, wasn't it wasn't Thomas out, Riker? I thought maybe he was still around. <laughs> it turns out the answer is yes, if we just set the phaser to a wide beam and obliterate everything. Goddamn wide beam, it solves all our problems. Now, this comet's only about the size of a shuttlecraft, so it seems more reasonable to me that they expect to be able to destroy it. Right. It's on an asteroid. Like when you see moon. that shuttlecraft flying in between the three pieces, no one piece is really any bigger than the shuttlecraft. Right. Uh, anyway, it's sabotage. They have to set up the ship specially to do that, but they they get that done. And then when they get out there, it just fires the normal bolts that the Defiant fires and blows it into pieces. <laughs> yep. And I was like, what the fuck? Did they cheap out on the special effects? But no. Yeah. It was. It turns out it's sabotage, mm-hmm. and the Cardassian that's got the hots for O'Brien just comes right out and says, it was the new one. It's definitely her. <laughs> the new one. She's in the Obsidian Order, and she did a sabotage. Yeah. So the fact that they set her up earlier as not being like the other two, kind of not necessary because they never give you time to figure out that that's what happened. Yeah. Because she just says it. Yep. Yeah, no one puts the clues together. Like, it's fine. You can, as soon as she shows up, you can tell that they're frosty. She is, uh, she even appears more patriotic That's what than I was saying. Are. She straight just yeah. starts throwing people under the bus for not being cardy enough and shit. Right. Um, so it was, uh, not remotely surprising that she's Obsidian Order. Yeah. So we all agreed it was a four on the world building. Um, flipping around to characterization, uh, Ben gave it a five. He likes this Vedic Yarka. The actor is, uh, good first of all, but then he's kind of fire and brimstone that he wants out of a preacher. And on top of that, he's actually pretty reasonable and willing to admit he's wrong at the end. That guy also played, um, I believe he played a rabbi in Babylon 5. So he's got uh, this he's in thing. Babylon 5 for sure. I think you're right that he is a rabbi. He's got that role on fucking lock, apparently. Um, Kira maintains her pious nature here. Um, here's what I had. Dax is suspicious of the Cardi science. Just in general. She's just very uh, no, pessimistic. She's, she's uh, Argyle when 
Sure. It's meaningless. <laughs> when Kaczynski... Kaczynski comes on board. Yeah. Uh, Dax also isn't into uh, Bajoran prophecy, but I don't really blame her. Quark is planning ahead for an increased Cardi presence on the station. O'Brien seems to take it personally when the lady calls the station Teroknor. Like, yeah, there's a. It's not. He gives a dirty. It's a shame that they leave this on the floor. He gives a dirty Setlik uh, three look. Yes, O'Brien's feelings about the Cardassians never reached the surface in this one. It's weird. He doesn't say like it to he, anybody. He never, when she is attracted to him and he's like, I, it's not possible. He never, he doesn't say to her, I'm sorry, I was in the war and I got a bunch of mixed up feelings. <laughs> It'd be great if he was that one bashful about it and two that honest. Yeah. If he was like, uh, he's not, O'Brien's not in touch with his own emotional life, so it wouldn't make sense for that character, but still. It'd be great if he was just a real Jerry Reed about it and went, oh, I just pick it and bend it in all kinds of weird ways. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, then he gets all caught up in this Cardassian romance whoopsie with this lady, uh, and again sticks his fucking foot in his mouth. Kira falls into prophecy pretty quickly herself. Still, uh, even after spending so much time with uh, all these Starfleets, she believes Cisco is the emissary as well. Um, Odo points out that Cisco's uncomfortable with being the emissary. I, I meant to keep it to this section, but we talked about it earlier. Would have been nice to get more of this from Cisco leading up to right. this and less just Odo telling him. Same with Kira and the Vedic. Um, God, you'd think reading the script, Cisco would have thrown some shit in in some of those earlier scenes, but nah. Like throwing a hint or two in? Yeah, like something that made it seem like he wasn't just like, oh, I don't believe prophecies, but more like I'm uncomfortable having to deal with these questions. Like, I think there's just a couple of hints about it when he, when Kyle Paca's kicking around in the first season, but yeah. it's so small. And it's so little. Part of, I think part of what was happening in season one was he was trying not to get caught up in the politics of Bajor. Yes. Because there was a lot of that towards the, in the back half of season one where there was a lot of Bajor and politics stuff happening, and I liked it. Yeah, that was good. That was when DS9 started to score points. Yeah. It was the early middle of season one when it was in, in fifth place. Yeah, I've, I've been, again, re-listening to a lot of the old brother dates, and we are still very much in the era of, I can't believe I have to watch a DS9 next week. Oh, it's like when the, the next one is just called Dax, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Unfortunately for us, as soon as DS9 got good, Voyager got bad. Oh, yeah. We couldn't just go for a little while with, like, uh, the show's kind of working. Um, I think character work was done, even though it wasn't always handled all that well. Overall, this was one of the biggest differences between the scoring of an episode and my actual enjoyment of it that I've seen. I gave it a five on characterization. Do we already do Ben? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. He's a five also. Yeah. Uh, I'm lower than you guys here. I'm a three. Okay. Um... Odo is way too in touch with Cisco's emotional life this week. He's just doing all that great observation of humanity. Yeah, I mean, does he um is he feeling his oats after his announcement that Kira couldn't possibly be in love with him last week? Now he's the observer. I don't care if he's observer. feeling his oats. I want to know if he told anyone about the changelings. I mean again, yeah. <laughs> Listen, no mention of it in this Jesus. episode. Kira's extreme faith mm. 
has never really clicked for me. Okay. Because she's otherwise so cynical. Yeah. I will say that I do like when she's playing matters of faith, her acting becomes a little more childlike and vulnerable. Yeah, it's another side of her. That's acting and not character, though, I think. Yeah. I think that's something that Nana Visitor is doing well. I don't even know if it's been explained on screen or anything. I always get the feeling when I'm thinking about it that her faith sort of sustained her during the bad times. It could be. But again, they don't they aren't doing much with it, so they're doing much with her in general. Uh I'm genuinely surprised that O'Brien hadn't complained about his bad relationship with his wife in all of those hours working with Galora. Right. But he does like her better when she's down on Bajor. Well, I mean I always say the secret to my marriage working is that uh, I rarely see my wife. So, you know. The but the the reason the that this is only a 3 for me is this is too late in the run for Cisco to be thinking about th- what it means to be the emissary for the first time. Yes. Fucking Not season when 3. Baca had a vision about going to the Gamma Quadrant and ended up on uh the uh planet Freejack. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, Mike from Breaking Bad, or as you think of him. The Professor. Professor, what was his name? The sixth season of Community. Uh, or whatever. I don't remember his name. We used to remember The him. guy who draws the ducks. Yes. Um, not any of the Kai Wynn stuff. This is the thing that makes him think about it. And to me, it's like if you were going to let it sort of founder for this long... Mm. It's it's hard to bring it back in in this episode. I agree. Um, quick hitters. Yeah, do it quick, because we're already at like three hours twenty minutes. Yeah. Uh, Ben says in high def he can more clearly see that the Kardashian women wear blue makeup on in their spoons. Yeah. Sort of like lipstick. I don't know if that's meant to be makeup or. Uh, sexual dimorphism. Oh. Either way, it's not in high def. Oh yeah, all right. Maybe they have not restored it. I think just with greater uh, attention. You get. There have hardly been any Cardassian women to this point. Yeah, there was the one there's that Quark the, was into. There's the and there's the uh, Obsidian Order operative that there turns out there's no Cisco fanfic about. God damn it. Uh. So we spend a lot of time with these two, and also they're happy and projecting and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's nicer to look at their faces. Yeah. Because they're being pleasant. Also, maybe they just, this is the first time they did it. I don't know. I think it's nice to look at um, Mark Alamo's face. <laughs> well, who doesn't think that? He's so smug. Uh, so those are Ben's quick hitters. Okay. Uh, I have a few. Go for it. They made a big point of saying the names of the two Cardassian scientists up front. Yeah. Like, they said it a lot, and I I wasn't sure what it was setting up. Was it anything? Uh, I, I think the only thing it was was that then there was a third one. Okay. But I don't think that work needed to be done. I didn't remember any of their names. The Ulani and Galora and the third one I have to look up is Umami, G- Gamora, and Deja Q. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, Cisco has his pips way forward this week. They're almost under his chin. Well, someone took him off to dry clean that uniform and then put him back on the right place. To be fair to Vedic Yarka, 
this prophecy is real specific. Yes, it is. Like, uh, it's not, uh, it's not Nostradamus stuff. It's very, this will happen, and then right after that, this is going to happen. But watch right. out, because this other thing. This is a question I have for you. Mm, good. Why is it that when I see any bald character in Star Trek, I wish it was portrayed by Paul Shear? <laughs> I got it again with Yarka. Oh, God, that's such a different character. <laughs> oh, it's a very different character oh, if he man. plays it, for sure. I just thought about it. It's pretty good, though. I like it. We should do it. Let's do it. Uh, then I said, oh, gross, did this Cardassian just get wet for O'Brien? Turns out she did. Yeah, she I did. I was correct. Um... When she says, why have you been flirting with me or whatever? He does a perfect Dave Lister. I haven't. That's <laughs> true. He uses the same fucking, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Inflection. He uses the same inflection. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know how that got in there. Isn't diverting power from the engines to the subspace field coils just using the engines? Don't they power the subspace field coils? Bro, I don't know. Sometimes the fucking instructional integrity field isn't even active. I don't know how any of this That's shit works. Point. Hey, they little leaked Quark into this one. Yeah, they did. Just like the time travel one. And just like last week when he was named a, a fucking... I don't know if it was last week or the week before. When he named that fucking souffle, chocolate souffle, after uh, Kai Wynn. Oh after Kai Wynn. Does he have a better contract than Bashir? It's exactly what we talked about last time. He must have a, okay. a real contractual obligation. <laughs> To actually be little leaked, because there's no fucking reason. Because he fucking shows up in this one, the Canar gone bad. Yep, that's it. Then he brings Dejar over mm-hmm. halfway through, and then peace. Yep. Not an episode about Quark. That's all right. I saw the thumbnail sure for next week. Profit motive? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. It's going to be about Quark. Well, that's about the Zach, isn't it? Yes, it's a Zach episode. It's a Grand Nagus Zach episode. Um, is it weird, Matthew? Let's just talk about terminology, and maybe this is another Universal Translator question. Hmm. Is it weird that the Bajorans worship prophets who live in a celestial temple? Both things make it seem like the prophets themselves serve another god of some type. Yeah. Like, the prophet brings the message from God. Yeah. And a temple is where you worship a god. That's true. If Why is that the language used to describe these guys? Yeah. Are they, do they not believe that the prophets created Bajor? But they serve someone? or God, I have no like, idea. What, what's the deal with their religion? Yeah, it's true. Like, they get prophets because they sent the because they sent the orbs. But that would indicate that they're doing and someone's that the, work. But the orbs are the source of the prophecy. But it, like, it's such a strange language to use for that. I don't know is the answer. And we'll, we'll probably never know. Because of Star Trek reasons. I gave best actor to, I think you're getting ahead of yourself, Galora. And worst actor to, let me guess, reading prophecies about the emissary, Dax. <sighs> yeah, she did her usual great work in this episode. Not amazing. Uh, did we already do Ben's quick hitters? Yeah, Cardi, Spoons. Yeah. Uh, writing in real time, I have a bad feeling about this prophecy. Um, I have a bad feeling this prophecy will be seen to have come true, and this will be the real beginning of mystical DS9 that I despise. It gets 
So I haven't seen Voyager, which is why we had that confusion about, <laughs> about that Demon. That's yeah, next season. Look forward to that. It's a good one. I haven't seen Enterprise, so those shits are all new to me. DS Nine is not new to me. Yeah, and you're not wrong. It gets very mystical and not at all in a way I enjoy. Yeah, I'm afraid this uh, this might be tipping us in that direction. Uh, again, yet another B five actor, that uh, rambling Vedic. I had. Also, Dax's worst actor, but I had shaking my head about that crazy Cisco Dax from the conference room when he calls the Cardi scientists vipers. That's the Dax I chose for worst actor. God, she sucks. Uh, one of the Cardi scientists looks at this third lady that shows up like, like she's just a total fucking downer. Yeah, because when she shows up she, with her eyes, she said party foul. Yeah, they know what this bitch's game is going to be. It was the one who wasn't in love with O'Brien. The other one made it look like, fuck this lady. Ooh, Lonnie. Um, I guess this Cardi doesn't know that O'Brien is one of the dumpier humans in space. <laughs> it's like my friend D-Lu thinks. He's not, it's not just that he's dumpy, but like, he's also, he's the sitcom character. He's the guy whose wife hates him. Right, yeah, he's the he's the husband who's under he's the He's the Kevin life. James of this show. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? God, he really is. And it's like, maybe don't pick Bashir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depending on how you feel about him. He's really, he's been making, he's been making some positive steps this season. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. But, uh. All most of the rest of humanity is portrayed as being a better romantic partner than O'Brien, who's like, I hate Japanese food. <laughs> so much it tastes like dirt. I can't eat this seaweed. I'll never eat it. Uh but it's like my friend Dilu thinks that people Okay, then I'll quit Starfleet. <laughs> that that people never pick somebody from another race that that race thinks is hot. <laughs> now, Dilu is a known stereotypist, so he's got lots of theories like that. Like that all He's Indian just a babies who believes that stereotypes rule our destiny. Yes, like that all Indian babies look like miniature adults. Just one of his theories. So oh, I'll have to keep an eye out on that. Yeah. Um Are we supposed to care again that this Cardi scientist got her feelings hurt by O'Brien? I thought this was the comedic part of the episode. He's married, so like they ain't gonna bone down on this show. Like what what is this other than a waste of our time? It is. It is pure comic relief. Theory corner. O'Brien should not have told this lady his wife's name. (laughs) She asks for it. She doesn't give a reason. He tells it to her, and she just leaves. Yeah, it's true. Next stop could be Bajor. Like, why would you do that? You know what the Cardis are like. O'Brien, you more than anyone. It's gonna be a weird Obsidian Order hit. Yeah. She just goes, what's your wife's name? And he goes, oh, yeah, it's a totally reasonable question. Keiko? And she goes, cool. Peace out. She's about uh, five foot six. <laughs> She's a Japanese. Straight, straight black hair. Her <laughs> mom's a hundred. It's wild. <laughs> uh, make sure you check up on my daughter, Molly, also. She'll be down there. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Thank God we're just getting this project come to an end for now. It's fucking <laughs> yeah, three we, and a half um, fucking hours. Numbers are in. The numbers are tabulated. Mm. What do we got? Uh, f- fifth place this week. Been a while for them, but uh, Enterprise earned it. Yep. Nor- North Star with 15 points. Well, when you throw up a powerful one in world building combined. 
that's bad yeah. for sure. Just a reminder: last week, Darkling scored eleven. So Oof. it's not even. And also last week, and the Children Shall Lead scored eighteen. So fifteen is uh, not even terribly bad for this era. Yep, run of the mill last place, I'd say. Uh, fourth place this week, uh, Voyager Rise, nineteen points. <laughs> Uh, you like this one a little better than I did, but uh, it suffered. It got three total for world building. They can't get out of their own way. They just, it's just, I know we're in the middle of what the, that trilogy that everyone was talking about on the internet of bad episodes, but like the other ones have been bad too. Yep. Before this three episode run. So yeah, it's bad from bad is the problem. Ugh, terrible. Uh, so they are going to stay at, Two and four wins. Two for Voyager, four for Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Third place this week, 34 points. TNG, I'm uh, sorry, TOS, Is There In Truth No Beauty? Yep, 34 is uh, pretty I good. Gave it, I gave it 16, you gave it 18. 34 is pretty decent. Right now our series average is 30.7. So All right. 34 is a solidly on the good side of average. One point higher in second place this week, TNG Deja Q. Mm-hmm. Q episodes rarely score super well. It premise is where it scored, so yeah. that is usually the secret. If you have a premise, some of the other scoring will follow. And actually, there's very little difference this week between my scores and yours. the The highest differential is three. It happened on Rise, and it happened again in our winner. Uh, DS Nine Destiny mm-hmm. scored forty one points, which is just about the exact average that a winning episode scores. Yeah, that seems so, fair. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very fair win. Again, uh, we each is, we each gave it seven on premise. That's a good start. Yes. Uh, it was a 19 for me and a 22 from you. Uh, that's DS9's 16th win. Jesus. Uh, so the standings currently, Next Generation has 21 wins. The original series has 17 wins. DS9 right behind him at 16. Mm-hmm. And, that and average. in terms of points... Uh, DS9 is now 25 points ahead mm-hmm. uh, overall, and, you know, so sort of four-tenths of a point ahead on average. I will point out, you still have TOS ahead of DS9. It's I have I have pushed DS9 ahead because I have scored them 54 points better. Uh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's how the balance is, and that is the only place we differ uh, in terms of in terms of serious points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but frankly, I know what's left for TOS and I'm concerned. <laughs> I expect Deep Space Nine will probably notch an 18th win. Now, what before, do you mean? Spectre of the Gun. the original series does. Spectre of the Gun is definitely a masterpiece. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, and that's what we're watching next week. Okay. So if you're playing along, of course, it's two weeks in calendar time. Mm. Next Star Trek episode, uh, we're watching Spectre of the Gun. Mm-hmm. A matter of perspective. Oh, thank God! Yes! Fuck yeah! You are yes! a dead man, Apgar. <laughs> a dead man. A dead and man. the thumbnail is of that moment. Yep. I saw Riker and I went, yes! <laughs> We're watching Profit Motive. Oh, bring me right back down. Ferengi episode. It's a Ferengi episode of Deep Space Nine. Okay. We're watching Favorite Son. I don't know what that is, but I know it is the third of Voyager's trilogy of terror. Can't wait. So I expect it to be poor. Yeah. And we're watching uh, Similitude for Enterprise. Oh, the Cimmerillion. I'm going to say, frankly, Enterprise hasn't had as good a shot going in <laughs> just at first blush 
in a large number of weeks. We are predicting that a matter of perspective will be wildly entertaining, but somehow not going to score points. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just kind of Rashomon. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end, Troy definitely believes Riker could maybe have done an R. That's how I described this one to Marjan. She said, which one is that? And I said, that is the one where Troy posits that it is certainly possible that Riker's a rapist. Yep. So, looking forward to that part. So that'll be real fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, next week's a mailbag. So, you know, send us mail at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. Go to BrotherDate.com. Marjan tried to go on there to get the 90s list, and it wasn't on there, so I had to share it with her. So oh, okay. we should maybe we should work on getting that up. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so go to brotherdate.com. You can send us your uh, your audio messages, uh, brothers at brotherdate.com, and catch us on Stitcher, as always. And uh, I have been Matthew. And I've been Judah. Build our joy! 60 is the number of times the Earth goes around the sun in a week. Don't know if you knew that. What? <laughs>